Hello, and welcome to the ninth annual Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Ooh la la, it's me, Patrick. Welcome to the Academy. Patrick, end of the first round. Can you believe it? It feels so good, man. Uh, I, uh, I've seen 16 street films. I got a new, a newfound respect for, for the streetman, Lady Streep. I'm, I'm stoked. I have a new respect, and I call her Lady Streep in the Streepman. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Meryl, if you're listening. That's, that's what Gummer calls her. You know that. Oh, that's true. Gummer's <laughs> just walking in. Hey, Streepman. Yeah, they high five. I, do you think they have an elaborate high five? Oh, they must have an elaborate high five. I imagine uh, that uh, Don Gummer is kind of like Ricky and Ricky in the Flash. Oh, oh like I, so Meryl is Kevin Klein in real life. Yes. And Don is Ricky. Okay. Don is a hundred percent the Ricky. He's in there like, hey oh. man, I'm making I'm making a new sculpture. It's postmodern, baby. And he voted for George W. Bush twice. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. he's like, he's just like Gummers in like a corner, just uh, eating some Hagen dazs saying, you know, you know, uh, the Ramones voted for Roz Perot, daddy-o. They're the real punks. Yeah, she just used re- went straight from real life for our dearly, my dearly departed Ricky in the, in the flash. R.I.P. R.I.P. a real one. Pouring oh, out of Budweiser. Baby. We'll see you again someday, Ricky. We love you. We yep, love you. I'm playing Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. Perfect. Yeah. Perfect choice. But yeah, 16 straight films. You know, we're we're gonna we're gonna see who today t- is going to take on the. You know, I would say ma- major contender, despite my not voting for it. Kramer versus Kramer. The winner of this contest will play in. A, will will undoubtedly be a dramatic an Oscar-worthy matchup. Oh, yeah. This is, like, this might be... I would call this the big boy, like, bracket. Like, it's the Academy bracket, but this is, like... These are the heavy hitters. These are... Ostensibly. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, today, I think... You know, we've got... We got a couple doozies here that I think we want to really... You know, we're going to open it up, take a look. We're going to see if... Look at multiple endings. We're going to look at historical... Figures. I mean, it's it's all happening on, the, on this week's episode of the Academy Academy. Oh yeah, you bet your boy is probably gonna drop F. W. Murr now for some reason. <laughs> I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna drop that name in there. Yeah, yeah. Patrick has some pre-written mater- Murr now material <laughs> that is uh, just burning up the Zoom feed. Oh yeah, it's burning up. Yeah, the world of Zoom appreciates my Murr nows, my Murr now riffs. But uh, but yeah, we want to thank everybody for joining us for these first for this first round. You know, we're really, really excited to have you all on board. Hopefully you've been enjoying it so far. But, you know, let's get to this final matchup. What do you say? Let's get to our guest, our great guest this week. He's a dear friend of ours. He plays on our improv team, Sweet Dalai Lama. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Mushkatel. Welcome oh. to the Academy. Thanks, guys. It's a it's a pleasure to be in the Academy. Uh, an <laughs> honor. I feel, I feel blessed and thrilled and... Excited to discuss all things Meryl. I just Man, say, he's already picking up on the bed. Oh yeah! I just want to say I see a sparkle in your eye, and I think you have what it takes to be an Academy top Academy cadet. Yeah, 
is there any is there like a, a process that I need to go through to become a cadet? Is there some sort of ritual or or uh, there's seven trials, the seven trials of the Academy Academy. Okay. Yeah. First one is watching Mamma Mia. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> All right. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Which mind you folks, we will be doing again in the second round. Oh, that's but, true. Uh, Mamma Mia did make it. Adam, we're not you're not sitting through Mamma Mia this time around. You know, unless, you know, we're talking about two real heavy ones here. But before we jump to those, Adam, we got to know your Streep story. You know, what's your history with Meryl? First movies, first, you know, first loves, if you will. I don't know. Totally. Um, You know, I've been sitting here excited to talk about this since you told me that this was going to be a segment. (laughs) Because I realized watching the movies that were assigned this week that I have not seen a single Meryl Streep movie until I was asked to for this podcast. Wow. Um, It is a a huge, a cosmic black hole in my movie knowledge uh, that is is being filled here. So nothing to compare it to. You're not sitting here saying, I wish I had seen The Devil Wears Prada instead of these two. No, I have seen The Devil Wears Prada. I just completely oh! forgot about that. Oh there my god. Go. Multiple surprises. The yeah. twists the twists start now oh. and they don't stop throughout the discussion of these movies that we're going to talk about. What Regular is... M Night Shyamalan podcast happening what is right this? here. The, the season finale of Ray Donovan? Oh my goodness. Am I talking? A real Ray Donovan figure. Leah oh, yeah. Schreiber, of course, co-starred with Meryl Streep in the Manchurian Candidate remake. Oh. Anyway. So your Streep um, story is yet to be written. It's yeah, to be so saying. the entirety of my Streep story is watching and forgetting The Devil Wears Prada, mm. um, which I, now that I remember it, wonderful performance, great movie, <laughs> loved her in it. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I think uh, I am primarily like a genre movie watcher. And I think there's really very few genre Streeps other than like, you know, unless you consider romance a genre, which uh, now that I've watched one of these, I think I do. And I'm going to start watching more of them. Um, but yeah, I, I have not encountered a whole lot of Meryl Streep in my in my movie going experience. And you think it's just because I mean, like it's something we've talked about before here that um, we would like to see her in a horror movie or a sci-fi oh. film or, you know, a, a straight up like under siege level action film. Sure. I mean, I, even if in just a slightly more, uh, like she could be the star of the next Knives Out, and that would be the greatest thing in the world. Oh yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I would love to see uh, Meryl Streep. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, if she could like get these like late era Nick Cage roles, like a straight version of Mandy. Oh. I, Daddy, I, I bring thought, the chickens home. I thought you were gonna say. Um... Former Streep co-star Liam Neeson. How about oh. a Streep Taken? Let's Ooh. get her. Let's get her a Taken. She's got a special set of skills. She's busting heads all over Europe. Oh man, it could be a Julia and Julie and Julia prequel when Julia Child is in Europe. And well, we talked when she was a spy. Yeah, and Tooch yeah. gets taken, and yes. she has to find her Tooch. Oh yeah. If there's yeah. ever like a person. If one of the, you know, Dolph or or Sly has to drop out, I think she could easily fill in as the lead role in the Expendables if they're doing hey, another Expendables I don't movie. know about that. <laughs> oh, wow. This, oh, is Sly. 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 Oh, sorry, Sly just dropped in. I'd like to, I think I could do a good job. 
Uh, Sly, Sly, Sly left. Sly left. Uh, if the audience would like to hear from him again, though, just let us know sometime. We or you know we could do a Sly for season two with ease. Wow! And Ooh, it would my be. God. You know, I would. It, do I think it would be quite a time to be alive. Real uh, quick, what do you think would be if you had to just um, off the top of the dome give your like favorite to win the Sly uh, bracket? What do you think it would be? Oh, I think. Um, I think you'd have to the the chalk favorite would be Rocky or Creed. Mm. Yeah, I think would be, but don't discount Cobra, baby. <laughs> I will say I think it'd be uh, First Blood. Yeah, definitely on the list as well. I mean, stop my mother shoot. Ah, that's a great movie. I like that Sly said that his best film was Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> Came back in uh, just to say my best film. <laughs> Apparently, that is, that is actually the only movie he has ever been in that he actively makes fun of. Like, everything really? else is just, everything else is either a classic or a lost gem. Oh, uh, man, yeah. Well, <laughs> people talk about it. But um, this is exciting, Adam, that you're kind of a, yeah, a street novice, if you will. Yeah. Totally raw, totally fresh, just yeah. ready to to absorb whatever is thrown at me, and, and excited yeah. to do it. Yeah. Just, well, I think we picked a couple couple introductory street notes for you today. That uh, we uh, yeah we did not give you Devil Wears Prada or Mama Mia or Julia and Julia this yeah. week. Yeah, we threw no. you into the deep end of street immediately. We were like, here's the deep end of street. Uh, have fun swimming. Yeah, just two fascinating ones. <laughs> Utterly, I uh, I was entranced by both of these movies. These were these were projects that I didn't expect either of these films to be anything like what they were as I was watching yes. them. Like I I, oh. I I thought I knew what I was getting into with both of these. I was like, oh okay, biopic about Margaret Thatcher, got it. Oh okay, romance movie, got it. That was thirty percent of I think what what I was given. Yeah, I think uh, I hadn't seen either of them before as well. And I I won't say they exceeded my expectations, but they certainly did not meet. You know, they, they were not what I expected. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. yeah. I guess subverted, I would say, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there was a... Um, I don't think there was like a Bridges of Madison County in this group that not only surprised me, but also turned out to be like, oh, that was a great movie. Oh, no, 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 no. You know, that, they, I don't think either of those, I don't think we had a Bridges here. Mm, but no, um, no bridge, no bridge. But certainly a couple we're talking about. So, I mean, like, let's, uh, let's just get into it. Like, let's talk, let's start talking Streep. I love that our guest has no comparison points. So in a world where Meryl Streep has only done two performances for one of our guests... <laughs> This is really down to it. This is practic. This is the um, this is the Adam Finals, if you will. Yeah, this is the this Adam is Cup. This is it. This is the Adam Cup. Let's let's call it this episode. Oh yeah. Will, um, will oh. you win so, Adam's goblet? Find out. Who knows? French Lieutenant's woman is up first, folks. French Lieutenant's woman. Now, um, how about a few numbers before we jump into things here? Mm-hmm. French Lieutenant's woman was released in 1981, directed by Carol Reese. Written by Harold Pinter, based upon the novel of the same title by John Fowles. The film was budgeted at $8 million and made a decent $26 million. 
Uh, it's Rotten Tomatoes rating, which, of course, we've as we've mentioned many times, we don't like. Don't like those tomatoes. Yeah. It's a, a decent 79%. Yeah. The film was nominated for five, count them five, Academy Awards. Best Screenplay, Best Film Editing, Best Costume Design, Best Art Direction, and, of course, Best Actress in a Leading Role, Meryl Streep. It won none of them this so, is like an absolute classic gets nominated and wins nothing movie yeah in my mind. i think that that's a great yeah it's 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 it's, it's just kind of hitting some surface notes here it's extremely well crafted good looking film oh yeah top-notch actors all the production value is there you know everybody brought their all of the crafts people Brought their oh, yeah. A games and to like, this film. I will also say that Jeremy Irons in this movie, he rivals Dustin Hoffman uh, in terms of, uh, um, in Kramer versus Kramer, in terms of uh, styles. He's a style. Yeah. A style. Uh, oh, uh, especially modern Jeremy Irons. Yes, yes absolutely. His mustache, his mustaches, the open button shirts. Yes, I, I made the okay. same comment while watching Patrick. Yeah, Jeremy Irons should have been a jeans model. Yeah, I yeah, love he's kind of he's jeans. He, he's handsome in the film. Let's put it that way. Oh yeah, dude's a damn snack. But uh, I will admit, though, when I was watching it with Jen, all we could talk about was, man, I would kind of rather be watching Dead Ringers. Wow, damn. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's fair. because we're 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 big uh, <laughs> Dead Ringers fans. But and he's so good in that, and oh, yeah. he's playing dual roles in that as he's playing in this. Um, this is uh, also comparable to Kramer and Sophie's. We got a movie where the title character, who is played by Meryl Streep, mm-hmm. is not really the lead character. Uh, no, it is. It's so funny that she is uh, first billed in this too. So at this point, she has enough like she has enough oomph in her career to be first billed. But even when she's first billed, she's still like the deuteragon. Deuteragonist? Is that how you pronounce that term? Yeah. She's still like ostensibly the deuteragonist. Deuterogenist? Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> uh, interesting, interesting thing though is a, the, the book, the John Fowles book that I have not read, but I actually really am interested in after doing some research on. Mm-hmm. Um, in essence, the character that she plays, Sarah, in the Victorian mm-hmm. portion is supposed to be purposely unknowable and purposely enigmatic because the he was critiquing the idea in traditional victorian novels of kind of the male gaze and uh the jeremy irons character essentially putting an identity on her without getting to know her he was attempting to like take a modernist look at and apparently because the book is a postmodern novel it has three endings that are very explicitly named, apparently. Oh, wow. As three endings. Um, there's the narrator will bop, will drop in and like comment on moments and actually appears as a character to talk to the uh, Smithson at one point. Um, and I mean, probably the biggest difference between the novel and the film is that the entire movie storyline is not in the novel. Wow. That was created for the film. That is uh, the exact opposite of what I thought was going on when they made this movie. Yeah. I thought it was like a normal novel that they adapted into a film, 
and they had all of that stuff and then <laughs> the the postmodern stuff was inserted by Harold Pinter in his adaptation that is like that is so wild to me yeah i think it was trying to base yeah basically make a postmodern film but using film techniques rather than the literary techniques that uh Fowles used so it is i like appreciated it more actually after reading all this about it like kind of the identifying with the screenwriter it's like okay how the hell are we going to take this thing that by all i read you know i read through the summary the plot line everything this is a very difficult adaptation it isn't really like designed for film so even the fact that they got this far Mm -hmm. is a bit of a miracle i think that they made this movie and it we bunch of bunch of people were not born when it came out are watching it for a podcast it's on the criterion collection i mean it's had like a lasting life afterwards but um you know that being said i'm not sure if i really bought any of it (laughs) yeah um that's fair i mean it's so funny because uh i will say that i was uh in Pressed by, if we're looking at uh, Meryl Streep's perform, for performance solely, I do think Meryl Streep did a great job, and this is like Young Streep too, of, uh, although it doesn't matter because she's amazing in Kramer versus Kramer, but uh, she does a good job of like delineating between her actor self and the Sarah Woodruff, and those characters are so separated and different, and she mm-hmm. handles both roles. Um, like the, I guess her first, uh, the, the Sarah Woodruff role is 100% just like a, uh, the performance you would expect in like a Victorian drama and whatnot. But I think the thing that's more impressive to me is how she plays her, uh, her actor version of herself. Miss Anna, uh, Anna exactly. the character. Yeah, Anna, exactly. Um, just the, she's so like, of herself and confident and it's such a strong juxtaposition to uh how she's portraying miss roughwood and slash miss woodruff i was very intrigued by her the anna character and in general i think you know adam i don't know if this is how you felt it seemed like you leaned in this direction too based on what you just said of like the kind of on set stuff that story i was more intrigued by and I wanted more of it, and they did, and they definitely that was like twenty five percent to the Victorian stuff, seventy five percent of the movie. They give you an amuse bouche of set stuff. It's bull. I want the meal. I want that to be the steak, <laughs> not the potatoes. I will say I, and maybe it's just the order that I viewed these movies in. I saw French Lieutenant's Woman second, but I had a blast uh, watching this movie. I thought. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It You can't really buy into it. Like, I think that's almost what they were going for. I, there was something very charming to me about just this opening shot of, a, you know, a, a clacker of somebody going like, take 32, okay, let's start the movie. And then the title cards show. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was a preferred way to watch a Victorian romance. Like it, it was easier for me to at least enjoy the performance like I I remember thinking going into this like oh I'm gonna have to like believe that this person 
is like in the 1800s this whole time and really be thinking about that for for two hours and I'm not going to enjoy it. And it really worked for me in some ways, but I, I understand what you're saying. Also, this may just be because it's the second Meryl Streep, you know, third Meryl Streep performance I've seen. I don't have a litany of, of, of performances to compare it to. This was great for me. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I, I think she was really great in this. I think that the part itself, the Sarah part, didn't do her any favors. It, like, it's purposely yeah. a distanced role. So we don't, like, we, yeah. we, we go through all of Jeremy Irons' emotions, almost too much of them, frankly. And, um, you know, she's supposed to be this mystery woman who he's obsessed with for no real apparent reason. Yeah, he just kind of looks at her yeah. and sees her and is like, and I, I will say, you know, the shots that he saw where he just kind of walked around and saw her, she was looking great in all the shots. Like, yeah. I mean, she is just a, the, the, the setting of the, like, the insane waves that were hitting that, like, storm wall. <laughs> Like I, I, that looked really dangerous. There yeah. was like huge waves washing up. Like I could have knocked one of those two okay. off. I gotta say, I loved that Tim Burton ass pier. Oh yeah, man. yeah. that like so that like that is like yeah. And I was making that joke, but that was like some like a uh, F.W. Murnau like old school German twenties <laughs> like set design. I don't know where they found it. It was so weird and old and gothic. Uh, yeah. So, and then also like Meryl Streep, yeah, and to your point, and to your point, Adam, like Meryl Streep is like, she is ethereal in this movie. Like that would be like initially at least, that would tell you, you know, they have a converse, you know, you get to know her character a little more, but that would be like the primary descriptor of her, at least when you're seeing her from a distance. Like she does a great job of like, she's, she's able to be entertaining without doing much. <laughs> which is like impre- or without being given much i mean if that makes which is impressive yeah i think um you know one of the interesting things going back to kind of how it's kind of the gaze of jeremy irons character on mm-hmm. both meryl streep characters you know his character his main character the um smithson charles smithson in the in the victorian era you know he's this guy he's this rich guy who is like dabbling in being a scientist he's just kind of dabbling in life and so he's like floating in essence and he's like trying to pin who he is what kind of person he's going to be and he in a sense pins this like i'm now this like endless romantic Mm -hmm. on Mm -hmm. seeing her on that pier and it's really it's interesting because it is kind of a play on kind of romance films in general like because a lot of them would have played this like a brilliant like endless like all-time romance and I think it's played that he's kind of dopey he never gets to know her and it's kind of a critique on all of that oh and he he ends up getting owned in the end like he yeah kind of loses everything including his like I love the part where it's like yeah you lose your right to be a gentleman yeah, I know. That was so good. I was like, oh, man. Oh, I was going to ask you, Patrick, who was more judgmental? Uh, the village that they live in in this town or the guests at the wedding in Ricky and the Flesh? Oh, man. I would say, you know what? They don't take away, like, 
Ricky's right to be a grandma and Ricky in the flesh. You know what I mean? I'm trying to think of what like or like it'd like it'd be like it'd be like if Ricky like uh broke up with Rick Springfield and then when he went back to the bar, everyone at the bar was like, You could no longer play Bruce Springsteen songs and covers of pink. Yeah. Be gone. What a devastating film that would have been. Yeah. My goodness. That would have only- made it would have made doubt look like an upbeat comedy. Oh yeah, you're only allowed to play cake. That's all yeah. you get. <laughs> and you have to do it as an impression. You can't do your own versions. Yeah. You <laughs> have to talk sing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going the distance. I'm going for speed. That's you now. Boo, where's <laughs> the flash? They left. <laughs> they say with Springfield, he's got a new band. But um yeah, but uh, speaking of uh, that'd be awesome. Uh, another another thought though that did come to my head with this was the um, I love the reveal that Jeremy Irons' actor character had a wife and kids. Yeah. Oh, I love that too. Like how it, so how they rolled it out. You're like, oh, what what has he been up to? Ah, <laughs> uh, this guy's a yeah. cad. Yeah, a mustachioed, open-shirted cad. Oh man, yeah, and just really quick, I have it. You, sorry, listeners, but I just have the show. There's the Zoom background, just full on shirtless. Got some like khakis on of some. Oh man, yeah, just, that was I the like best him. shirt he had in the film too. Oh, I would wear God. that shirt. Oh yeah. yeah, the the true the beautiful variety of facial hair that Jeremy Irons displays <laughs> yeah. in this movie is is it's wonderful. He has like first these like. A pretty bad, very floofy sideburns oh, uh, that I it, I just couldn't stop staring at. Very uh, like Chester A. Arthur. <laughs> uh, and then the like end the torment beard that he had at the end of the movie. Yeah. That was incredible. Oh uh, my God. Yeah. His beard of torment. Um, yeah, it was, I, I wish he'd been married at the end when they said Mrs. I wanted him to show up that, and she's like married and like it's totally moved on from him and him to show up like oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny yeah, I think it, what, one, scene, one thing that I was really hoping was in the movie that I didn't think was going to be but just a scene felt like it kind of it maybe set something up is he was going to his like betrothed once and he found her in the back shooting a longbow and oh, yeah i was like yeah man what a cool end to this movie if she's like chasing them down and like firing longbows at them trying to you know go manic crazy i, I i'm i don't think it would have worked in the in the story that they set out but i would have loved to see it oh yeah i was actually gonna ask you a question donald uh when uh you have a very loving relationship with your wife and uh but you know everyone fights occasionally whenever uh, when you're, whenever you're, whenever Jen's mad at you, do you just like walk in and she's just like shooting her bow and arrow? Oh, not only that, I mean, she has a document prepared already to shame me in the local papers if things go, <laughs> if things go really wrong. Just oh, I, did... I am that I am no longer a gentleman. Oh yeah, I did read that in the the L A. list recently. Yeah, Sanderson, no longer gentleman. The uh, Los Feliz ledger already has a copy on file that they're ready to put out there, just in, just <laughs> yeah, in the, case. The, the Silver Lake Clarion ledger. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I, I mean, I like that scene. I think Adam, I'm glad. I'm really glad that you brought that scene up because I think that sums up a lot of like the subverted expectations of almost every moment. 
of this movie. You think it's going to go one way. It's like by the end when he was so in love with her, Jen actually did She's like, have they even had sex yet? And they ended up having sex like with 15 minutes to go in the movie or something. She's like, mm-hmm. she's like, he, he's that into her. They haven't even like made out <laughs> like every we other gotta, movie. Oh yeah. We got to talk about the sex scene, but. Uh, oh yes. Yeah. We can get to that. Yeah. Yeah. It's mind boggling. So uh, in the book, here's another in the book is, I mean, I think it's semi clear that she's a virgin in the movie. Mm-hmm. But in the book, it's made very clear that she is. And one of the alternate endings is she gets pregnant with his child. Oh, wow. That was another expectation that I that I was thinking about that uh, mm-hmm. I, I didn't even realize until you said that uh, did not get fulfilled. Yeah. I, you know, I, another thing I would really like, would have liked to see in this film, and it can't, you know, obviously he yells the character's name at the very end when she's mm-hmm. leaving rather than her name. And... You know, it does dabble in kind of the duality of the worlds. I would like, you know, maybe it's a, like almost like wanting like a Charlie Kaufman kind of thing where mm. the worlds actually like completely come together and there's confusion on who they are. Oh, like, man. Like uh, identity kind of thing, like almost like persona or, you know, um, the Boom Well move, that obscure object of desire. Like, I thought right. that stuff is very like... yeah. Or even at the end of Synecdoche, New York, where characters are playing the real people and they're all interacting yeah. together. That's that's my favorite Kaufman movie, by the way. Love that. That's I, I could talk for ages about Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. I remember Patrick not enjoying it I, and telling I, me about it and me almost <laughs> wanting. It was the closest I've come to wanting to fight Patrick. I will say, I, I watched it in college and I... I I hated the movie in college, but maybe I need to watch it again because I love Anomalisa. Like that movie, I think slaps. I, I'm with you, Adam. Actually, I do. I agree. I think it is his best film as well, but it's also a devastating film. Like uh, the last yeah. 20 minutes are among the, some of the saddest stuff that I could think of. It, it's a hard way. movie to pitch to people. It's it's very difficult yeah. to get somebody. I've had a I've had you know maybe five or six times tried to get somebody when they say, Oh, what's the movie about? And me trying to come up with a couple of sentences that, but yeah, that's right. But like, what is the sentence that can make them watch this movie? There's really not one. If they don't want, if I can't just say it's a Charlie Kaufman movie and you might like it, but that's not, that's not going to get people on. Well, speaking of Charlie Kaufman, we'll talk about a little later in the episode. Oh. We got a little surprise. We got a little surprise for our listeners on oh, the yeah. very next episode after this. But we'll uh, we'll get into that later with our big surprise. Keep you on the edge of your seats. We're talking French Lieutenant's Woman right now. So, and Big Bong indeed. Yeah, I think this movie just feels to me like there was a lot of really like interesting things that they were giving a shot to, mm-hmm. and I just kind of wish they had pushed like. I think that they, like, you know, Adam, you said toward the top of this conversation, this idea that this is like an Academy movie. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of hard to get away from those handsome Academy trappings and make this movie as weird as it demanded to be. And I would have liked to see it weirder. I think that that's just my general thought, like take it further, play with things even further play with things even more like I yeah just 
Yeah, I, I'm with you. I like because yeah. I do love the idea of like you. There was such a a rich opportunity to 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 blur the lines between fantasy and reality in the end of that like lunch party, uh, where like you see. Although it is, I will say, I do kind of love seeing all the actors just being themselves. Oh yeah, at that there party. was there was a guy with the red turtleneck and the like the medallion who was dancing with her at one point who looked kind of like hobbity. Oh, I want to yeah. know what his story was. I was oh, oh again yeah. more on the set, baby. I know one then... one great moment that I remember from that scene that I don't know if it was just like a couple seconds when uh, Jeremy Irons is chasing after Meryl Streep going into the house to try to have his like final conversation with her. He bumps into the actress who is playing his betrothed. Yeah, and they kiss. And they like have a like a kiss and then a cheek kiss and he's like bye like he gives her almost no thought but it was a very like oh there's a whole other relationship that well, was he, not like, shown on screen he's he's a total cad so they probably um oh they fucked for they, sure they, they oh, were, as well yeah. yeah oh man yeah. yeah more set stuff because like I agree like I thought the my favorite stuff in the movie was actually the afternoon party oh, at Jeremy Irons the actor's house. That was tense. Oh yeah, or even yeah. Like the part where like Meryl Streep goes up to Jeremy Irons' wife, she's like, a yeah. Shark. It is so and like there and there's like maybe I'm just crazy, but there's like a sexual tension between the wife and Streep a little bit. Did you guys feel that, or was that just me? Maybe maybe a, maybe a little. I, I definitely felt like there was a there was a lot of secret knowledge being passed at the very least. Like how much did his wife like? he's been in the game a long time and if he's this willy-nilly with one co-star mm-hmm. how much has he really been caught doing over the course of you know i think you you call it right he he's a total cad much like i think the guy if if you were allowed to be a cad in victorian era yeah would have been as well oh 100 percent. yeah it was a very dumb um drama that was happening in the Victorian times. It felt just such a like, just marry the girl you like. Why is this such a problem? Like so much time was spent. And I I mean, you know, I I guess I was wrong because he ended up paying this, this the punishment of, you know, signing this horrible document, depriving him of gentleman status. But uh, I I don't know if you heard though. She was once uh, politely friendly with a French lieutenant, which causes all sorts of trouble in this yeah. village. So, okay, <laughs> so here's actually a question, because this is something that I, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it just goes to the kind of unknowability that you were talking about earlier, but like, what actually happened that yeah. caused her to have this shameful, like secretive, like way of being? Because it sounds like she just hung out with a dude for a while and then they were going to have sex. And then she was like, oh no, he's actually with, a prostitute right now. Well, I don't the, need to be involved here. Well, the thing is, is she has that speech with Jeremy Irons, and I think that's like one of the best. It was so like I love that performance. Yeah, that's a she good was, scene. She was so mm-hmm. subdued, and then up until that point, and she talks about how like, uh, you know, how she had this like, I guess like a mental affair with the 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 Frenchman or whatever. But it's like. It's almost like she wants it. Like there's a scene, like in that scene, it's almost like she she talks about how freeing it is to not have to worry about the trappings 
of uh, of being like you know a Victorian lady anymore. I mean, she doesn't use those words, but it's like she's mm-hmm. it's like she loves okay. her shame. She has like this moment where it's like I I, I it's like she's is having this like mark on her, this brand of being you know the French lieutenant's woman is in a sense like freeing for her in a weird way. Like it well, gives her. She is a. Um... What I think she values most, and I think this is another reason why, you know, the author, and I, it, there's been some critique since that said not so much, but he claimed he wrote a feminist work because he saw her as an independent woman who wasn't going to accept any of the Victorian labels that either literature or the real Victorian era would have put on her. And that even includes a romantic label with uh, Jeremy Irons. She was going to reserve her independence and do in essence, what she felt like. She was going to walk in those woods. She was going to stand on that um, bluff thing. She was going to make her gothic art. Yeah, she was a drawer. I was going to do a joke about uh, Simon from Saturday Night Live, but I don't know if you, do you you guys know that one? (laughs) Oh, the the, the Mike Myers. Yeah, the Mike Myers one, yeah. My -hmm. name is the French Lieutenant's woman and I like to do drawings. (laughs) (laughs) That hits. I yeah, was right. I was not I was probably not alive when that came out on 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 live television. But yeah. I've seen Simon on those yeah. DVDs. I will Is say, it? don't know that reference at all. Still found it funny. Oh, good. <laughs> good. Well, I, I I wrote it and created the character. <laughs> ah, wow. Mike Myers. No, he it's not him at all. No, but. Uh, <laughs> Before we get too far away from it, I had just one other thought of a thing that I feel like was completely unfulfilled in the story mm-hmm. is uh, um, the like valet of uh, Jeremy Irons character is like this weird little creep who is like sneaking into all of his stuff and like half blackmails him. But then is just like, but never actually blackmails him. And I kept just being like, he's collecting information. He's like getting all the pieces together. He's going to bring this to somebody eventually. And then he just is like, screw you. I've wasted my life with you. I quit. And I'm like, okay, well, and now you're going to blackmail him, right? And then he doesn't. And I just was like, where, where did this guy go? Why did he do all of the things he did? So apparently in the book, the character was very much in there, um, to show class differences and give like a little bit, almost a Marxist reading on that universe. And apparently Marx is actually quoted quite a bit throughout the book. Not what I, again, another unexpected twist in the French lieutenant's woman. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I, I would not hesitate though to say that the actor Hilton McRae who played Sam the valet is a Tucci contender. Mm, Big Tucci energy. Cause he's a, you're right. He's weird. He's squirrely and weird and kind of underdefined and um, seem, I, I think it might be this poor actor and kind of the way he looks. It's like, if you cast young Steve Buscemi in the part and you're like, yeah. is, he's wor- is he working against me? Like, like almost like a, like a, a more working class Eddie Redman. Yeah. But like yeah. real squirrely just kind of has that yeah. look about him. And you're like, so you work for Jeremy Irons. You might be older than Jeremy Irons, like there was oh, that yeah. vibe too. It's Hard very odd, yeah. It's like, there's like yeah, there's like an energy where like yeah, this movie. Uh, if that actor was like ten years younger, he would have been in a Guy Ritchie film. Yeah, well, it, you have to remember it was the 1980s, and every actor was 42, just in general. 
I will, I will also give a a a a, a, a uh, contender shout out to uh, uh, Patience Collier or Collier, the lady who plays Mrs. Poltaney, who's like oh the, the mean boss. Oh my yes. god, I love <laughs> yeah. that performance. Oh my god, it was so it was like cartoonish. It was harsh. It was harsh. Oh man, it was so. Yeah. She just was eating every like she was just like she was eating the scenery. She was such a ham. I loved it. Oh, you know who I would throw in there? Oh, you know what? They're not involved at all when Streep's around. So never mind. <laughs> they can't be really, they're not elevating her at all. But the the fat mouthed British guys that Jeremy Iron goes and gets super drunk with when he goes oh, back to London. Yes. Those guys are incredible. I love uh, them. All the parts quite all right, the- I could listen to that for the entire Again, movie. I think I, I I would watch a two-hour movie about Jeremy Irons slowly but surely devolving into a sauced British alcoholic with those guys oh, man. <laughs> and causing trouble all over London. Uh, like, uh, at, Jer- just at that point, they we see nobody else. Everybody from Lime, everybody just disappears. Yeah. It's just Jeremy and these two boys for the next 45 minutes of the movie. And that's oh, when I found love. I forgot the French lieutenant's woman. <laughs> They're so depraved. Yeah, like in that scene where like they've been drinking and they're so sloshed and Jeremy Irons like like pull, pushes over a whole, falls on a table. Yeah. Everything. Oh man. Yeah, oh. I wanted like 20 more minutes of that. I thought that was, they they did that perfectly too, I think. I I really enjoyed that. He takes the, a really good- That was my good, biggest uh, laugh, I think, in the movie. When he passes out, it's a very good no stuntman fretful too yeah and and the the two fat mouthed uh british boys just like oh there he goes oh he's just one more oh yeah he goes oh he's very in there oh it's my, my guess is that that certainly is probably a critique of the upper crust polite oh these are this this is polite society and they're just a bunch of drunk monsters they're no better than anybody else yeah they're yeah. they're um and I think the implication was that they were going to go to a, a, a whorehouse yeah. Uh, oh, if, yeah. if, if he didn't fall over drunk there. Which is, of course, his biggest fear because he thinks he's going to run into her at a uh, mm-hmm. brothel. Um, one thing to bring up before we move on, too, is uh, tennis and suits. Tennis and suits. Yes. Oh, my yeah. God. I was obsessed with that scene. What was going... There was so many strange things happening. Not even certain what game that was. It's I think like, it was this, tennis. But is this it was, squash? Is this tennis? Badminton? It was It was a tennis court, and then there were walls, but there was also, like, a angled surface above the walls that the ball could bounce on. Is this a real game that I've just... Is this a variation of tennis that I've never heard of? Oh. I, I have no idea. I mean, I was fascinated with the full, like, dress wear, like wearing ties and so forth while playing this, uh, by all appearances, quite athletic, quite cardiovascular game. Yeah, yeah, it looks like they just took their suit jackets off. Everything else was yeah. exactly as you would wear it in, like, oh, 40 yeah. degrees, like, r- pouring rain. Wait, imagine being the guy in 1890 who created shorts. You're yeah, in the big box. Everybody's mine. Yeah, was, yeah, it's like get out of town, you crazy person. Hey, that's what they said to the guy who created the wheel. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think this movie. I would, despite all this, I think I might have the most misgivings out of the group. I would still recommend it because I think it's, it is a, it's a, it's a very unique film. I yeah. think I think my disappointment almost lies with it because I, 
like you could smell the potential to turn this thing into something very weird and unique that would be even more memorable but it's trying for something and i think that you know that's better that's better than a lot of films that aren't you know this this could have been just the victorian storyline and them being polite and us sitting here man and saying man i wish we'd watched barry linden yeah i mean i would watch this (laughs) over into the woods any day of the week Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's superior to Into the Woods. I think it's it's nowhere near as dry as Out of Africa. So on the street rankings of films, you know, I think that this is a much more interesting film. You know, yeah. And before we move on to our our next film, though, I think we should maybe just do one quick final thought on Streep's performance in the film. Yeah. There's so many weird, odd, quirky things in this film that I think it almost like you forget all the work Streep is doing because she she's playing the most grounded and like normal part of this film yeah. in a strange way. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I, mean, I think, go ahead, Pat. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was gonna say like, I think like she uh, plays both roles uh, very differently and very well. And uh, you have a, an, I have an appreciation for just the, stri- the, the Streep stare. Like she had a great Streep stare in Kramer versus Kramer, and she had two great Streep stares in this movie. In the beginning of French Lieutenant's Woman, and then in the end of this movie, where she's like the when she's in her actress role, uh, when she's playing the, her real life person, uh, and she just looks at the mirror. It's like the last thing you see in the movie is her looking into the mirror, and kind of like it's like she's at a crossroads. It might as well be John Kasich in between that fork in the road. She's giving that thousand yard stare. Yeah. Yeah. A real Kasich moment for her. Okay. She also hated Fargo. That's true. Did you did you have you heard that story? Oh, John no. Kasich hated Fargo? Yeah, he, he apparently um so I don't know how the story came out again. It was when he was running for president in twenty sixteen. The story came out apparently he went to some blockbuster in the mid nineties when Fargo came out. He asked the clerk for a recommendation and they've like oh fargo is a wonderful film and he's like my wife and i watched it and all of a sudden they're putting a man into the wood chipper no <laughs> one is there's no morally sound person in this movie and i came back and i demanded not only that employee be fired but they also pull fargo from the shelves of blockbuster oh my god he's <laughs> like he's like mitt romney without the mormonism yeah he doesn't even I mean, have that excuse <laughs> i mean yeah, surprisingly cogent understanding of like the the nihilism at the heart of Fargo uh in in the you know I think he he got it like he got it yeah yeah, just, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Fan. I'd be curious what I mean it, you know John Kasich if you're listening I mean we're I think we're all Fargo fans here so we disagree with you on that one but uh what movie yeah. what movie is your favorite and what's your street favorite street pick let yeah. us know yeah uh, and, and, also- how interested would you be on maybe judging, depending on what comes out, either the French Lieutenant's Woman or Iron Lady versus uh, yeah. another, another movie, John? Yeah, yeah. I, I'd be curious if he thought Iron Lady was a fair portrayal of someone he probably admires. Uh, he also, probably, yeah, I think so. Also, hear me out, John Kasich. Uh, quit, quit politics. Become a film critic. Wouldn't that be fun? Start Come a on, vlog, baby. baby. Oh, yeah, start a vlog, baby. Start a vlog. <laughs> Or, yeah, YouTube <laughs> channel where he's uh, talking in a hot leather seated car screaming about Fargo. <laughs> yeah. 
I think that'll get real. Just the phone yeah. inches from his face. Yeah, just, just you, you get a, you get an eye and most of his forehead. Ran into another Coen Brothers movie this week. What the hell is the deal with Miller's Crossing? Uh, Wasn't a single uh, cross. Yeah, yeah. Where the cross is Coen's. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I think man, I, I would oh. absolutely kill to hear. John Case's just thoughts on a single man, uh, or I mean, uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, it, the uh, is that the name of the the very incredibly single, Jewish no. one? Yeah. No, no. Uh, what the hell? Oh my! I cannot believe it's slipping. Oh, I feel like an I, no, I'm a, a monster. Man. No, it's not a single man. That's, ugh, let me look this up. I should yeah. know this. That's Boy, not, we're having a real big. That's Colin Firth. That's Colin Firth. <laughs> yeah, we're no, having a cinematic brain fart right now, folks. Oh, You're hearing it live. That's as we go, it's not a simple life. That's the uh, that's the the uh, Bob Thornton. Yeah, it's a serious man. A serious, a serious man. man. Serious yeah. man. Yes. Well, a, I would. Another, I'd love uh, if he knows the name of yes. it. <laughs> I think he would have some really interesting thoughts on the the really inherently Jewish movie, A Serious Man. I think it would be. Yeah. I think he's pro- I think he's got all the training he needs to to take that on. I mean, who knows? Maybe the Columbia Record Club accidentally sent him a copy of Santana's Abraxas as well, and he really relates to that, much like the leading <laughs> character in that film. I did not want Santana's Abraxas. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man, uh, Red Letter Media uh, hire John Kasich. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'll give my final thoughts on Meryl for uh, French Lieutenant's Woman for the moment. Um, I think almost more so than Kramer versus Kramer, this character is very difficult to know kind of their motivations and intentions. She's doing everything technically right. I really liked her work as uh, Anna, the actress, because I liked kind of her chilly, self-assured character that she was playing in there you know i'm always rooting for meryl to play characters who are have a bit more of a dark side perhaps or a bit more of a selfish side and we will get to that momentarily um in a much bigger way but um i think i really liked that i thought the unfortunately and i don't think it's anything that has to do with meryl's doing the sarah character is just it's a difficult one to kind of she has to be like the most beguiling person in cinema yeah for you to really like it like you have to almost react her in the same way irons does and i don't know if i got all the way there but i think she's still doing all of her technical notes that make her meryl yeah you know Mm -hmm. oh definitely she's hitting all the the classic meryl beats and it is like yeah it's like the the film expects this to be on a level of like Frodo seeing Galadriel for the first time. Like that level of just like ethereal, like mystery and beauty and like, oh, whoa, the perfect woman. But uh, it's, um, it's just, it's an impossible sell to a certain degree. It's just tough. It's just a tough role to be in. Like she's straddled with something very difficult. But I I don't know, like, I I do think that like uh, the best acting in the movie is, her forest conversation and like discussing, you know, the origins of her, her, uh, her nickname and her, the tit, the, her titular, the titular nickname she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Adam, did you have any further thoughts or? Yeah. Um, 
you know, uh, agree with you on the kind of the un unknowability, the mysteriousness kind of making it. I mean, it, it means it almost lends itself to just kind of vagueness in some ways in terms of uh, acting. And I think mm -hmm. that definitely didn't serve her. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the role um, in uh, American Psycho um, of uh, Willem Dafoe, his part in that movie where he's kind of at multiple different times in the movie has different understandings of Patrick Bateman's mm -hmm. uh, guilt or not. You know, it's you're, you're kind of always guessing what her deal is. Like, I mean, it, and you never really have a firm understanding of it, which uh, makes, makes it hard to judge. But I think uh, in the, the difference between the way she performs and acts as Anna and the way she acts as Sarah, um, I found that to be really compelling and interesting just to kind of see the like the quote unquote acting that she's doing hard when she's uh, in Victorian times. I found mm -hmm. that very compelling. Um, I thought she hit some real great poses. Uh, there was the, when he walks in on her in the forest and she's lounging, like she's on a chaise lounge, oh, yeah. uh, like just out in the middle of nowhere, like for seemingly for nobody, like that's just her resting pose. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was incredible. There, there are a hundred percent moments in this film that just feel like pieces of art. Like I have another screenshot of Meryl Streep just in bed and it looks like something you'd find in like a Renaissance, like, like in the Louvre. Like it's that level of uh, where is it? There we uh, go. This is it right here. Look at that. Look at that. It's a. It, it's a. It is. It is definitely a. Yeah. Mm. It's a gorgeous. It is a gorgeous film, and you know, like we said toward the top of this portion of the conversation, they they really spared no expense in getting this stuff and you know making making this a handsome movie. I mean, yeah, this this is a big dramatic movie of the year. Oh, year it came yeah. out yeah and i mean i think um you know adam you really hit on something there though with the she's enigmatic and that makes it tough but that is also kind of the point of the movie which just makes puts them in a tough spot in making like a traditionally fulfilling movie because yeah when your leading character is purposely unknowable or person uh purposely obscured mm -hmm. it's it, it can be a little bit harder to dive all the way in on a film even if you know you're yeah. lucky you got Meryl Streep playing the part I mean an actor of lesser talents that could have been disastrously boring oh 100 <laughs> percent, yeah honestly and it's like yeah and it sucks because like you're stuck in this position where like your character is almost like a MacGuffin to a certain degree because no matter like when you're the point of your character is being like unobtainable and like unknowable, then like what you do know about her, ultimately whatever you learn about her will be unsatisfying. Uns yeah, like, no, it is like a, it's a tough situation to be in as an actor and uh, when write and when writing a character. Yeah, um, I think re real quick uh, tangent thought. I don't know if either of you guys have read any of the Name of the Wind books. Uh, Oh, uh, Rothfuss? Yeah, Patrick Rothfuss. I'm the, reading the first one. Okay, well, not to spoil too much, but I, I don't think this really does, but, you know, the there's a there's a love interest in the books, and it's 
seen from this teenage point of view and you're you're experiencing the story through a teenager mm. and he does have this very idealized idea of who this person is and you uh, similar to this movie where Jeremy Irons is barely interacting with uh with Anna it's uh, or Sarah rather um he falls in love at a distance and you you know you get these little glimpses of the person and i can see i, I think it's a, I think in the Rothfuss piece, I think you'll find too, Alex, that it's done very well and interesting. And maybe that's just better served in the literary format. Maybe it is just easier to express like these kinds of characters that are kind of a critique of a, in, 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 in their embodiment. Uh, it's easier to just do that in a book. I think you can also internalize those feelings and point of view becomes even more intense in kind of the literary way. I mean, obviously point of view in film, this one was, this one I think it's hard to tell sometimes whose point of view we were rolling with. And I, that would have, but at the same time, from what I understand about the book, that's played with as well. Mm. So I think it's, you know, it's definitely, they chose a real doozy of a book to try and adapt um, book that I has in this research of maybe want to check it out because it sounds challenging and strange and interesting, but um, I think they did they did the best with what they had, but it might might have been just a little bit too much of a book to transfer into a you know I've heard a story that said uh, it's much easier to adapt a mediocre book and turn it into a great movie than it is to take a great book and make it into a great film. Because yeah. there's something a great yeah. book does that just, it remains a great book. Like it's all within the book. Mm -hmm. And a movie can capture some of the essence of that, but sometimes, you know, and of course there's examples where it goes the other direction, but yeah. I think. I mean, yeah. it's like a thing too, where like, it's like, sometimes what makes a book great is uniquely like uh, it's uh, uniquely endemic only to books like <laughs> it's something yeah there's some sometimes it's just like a, there's a quality that works on paper that doesn't translate or it's difficult to translate to a film and yeah there's millions of examples of that or not millions like you know hundreds or whatever probably i don't know mm -hmm. i mean you take, some, mm, you I take something like Scott oh, sorry. In comics. Sorry, go ahead. No, no I'm but, being interrupting. I know you shouldn't. No, you shouldn't be, I'm being. It's fine. I love Scott. Uh, no, I was just thinking about, um, you know, uh, one of my favorite books of all time is Richard Yates' Revolutionary Road. Oh. And um, they made that into a film with uh, DiCaprio and Kate Winslet eight or nine years ago now. Oh, yeah. I and the, the movie hits pretty much all the beats mm -hmm. that are in the book. But you realize, like, going back to kind of internal point of view, that is yeah. presented in the book it's just you can't hit all of that you're gonna do things differently when you're actually seeing the characters move and it has to be action oriented rather than kind of like frank's on the bus thinking to himself or april i think her, i think her name was april um you know, was at home uh you know i think yeah it's like hard to capture yeah, and like it's like the thing is like yeah, with most films like narration, you know what works on the page that narration, that beautiful prose on the page, that's gonna come off as like overly didactic and like, mm -hmm. 
in, yeah, overly instructive. Uh, and I can't think of that many movies where like I really like maybe Croupier with uh, Clark uh, Clive Owen, not Clark Owen. Uh, have you ever seen Croupier? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, but that like Clive Owen, the Clive Owen narration in that is so good. Uh, that's like yeah, one I of think the few. Narration can be, you know, this, this is pretty, this is deep into a digression here, but I mean, you take a film like Goodfellas. Yeah. That that narration mm. is great. It's funny, and I think the Wolf of Wall Street hits Sam Williams, but they're mm. kind of funny and ironic and unreliable. Yeah, too. Yeah. It becomes a character. You know, he's staying in character throughout it. I mean, there's another one though. I was just thinking about um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. That has a very um, like godlike narrator mm. who isn't a character in the rest of the film. And I know some people really struggle with that, but I thought it really worked for the kind of story they were trying to tell with that film. So anything could work. Give it a try. I mean, I like that they tried in French Lieutenant's Woman to get back to that. You know, yeah. it's like they yeah. tried something. It didn't totally work for me, but uh, well, I'm glad all- it exists. And I'm glad they went for it. And it's also like just like an Ocean's Eleven of like you got Carl Reese, Harold Pinter, uh, for Freddie Francis, Meryl Streep. You got all the greats, baby. Yeah, a lot yeah. of classy, classy talents. Yeah. Yeah, this film. I had a great time. You know, I, 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 I can hear, I understand Don and maybe he has a, a better appreciation for a street films than I do. Having watched at least 14 more, uh, he's got a better pedigree. <laughs> so, so, certainly. Some would say at least 14 more. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, I, I think, you know, if you haven't seen any Meryl street movies, this isn't a bad number two. I, I didn't th- I didn't hate it, you know. Uh, you can do worse, I think, than than this movie. Well, I, even fourteen movies deep, I I agree with that statement completely. It's not that bad. You could do worse. Like yeah. have fun, have fun and watch it. Maybe you'll maybe you'll pick up on some like hidden subtext that we missed. Yeah, have a have a, a snifter of brandy by your side, perhaps. Yeah, maybe maybe getting a little tipsy while watching this movie yeah. might make it might really turn your head around. Who knows? Yeah. Find yeah. find a couple of uh, Englishmen to do it to watch it with, yeah. maybe, and see yeah. see where the night takes you. The more rosacea, the better. Yeah, and prepare your letters, declaring your partner no longer a gentleman. <laughs> so uh, that was the French lieutenant's woman. Wow, what a journey that was! But yeah. I think we're only just getting started, folks, because oh, our next film <laughs> is The Iron Lady. How about some oh, stats? Released in 2011, this film was directed by Felita Lloyd, who also directed Academy Academy favorite Mamma Mia. What a wild two movies. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Written by Abby Morgan. Uh, This film was uh, budgeted at only $10.6 million. Wow. It made a tidy $115.9 million. Um, the film has currently on Rotten Tomatoes a 52% approval okay. rating. With the site's consensus rating, Meryl Streep's performance as the Iron Lady is reliably perfect, but it's mired in bland, self-important storytelling. The film was nominated for two Academy Awards. It, and guess what? It won both of them, baby. Oh, it damn. was nominated for Best Makeup and, of course, 
Best Actress, Meryl Streep. And I have two more interesting reviews to add for this particular film. One is from Margaret Thatcher herself, who was alive when this movie was released, who does not watch her films or programs about herself, so she never saw it. But um, <laughs> I want to jump in and... Um, I think this is a this is a good starting point because I this is a I think a classic Roger Ebert line in his review of this mm. film. Few people were neutral in their feelings about Margaret Thatcher, except the makers of this picture. And I thought that was pretty spot on. Yeah. Um, I don't I think this movie wants to have it both ways. They want to, and I understand actually why they do. They want to present this very strong woman who rose to an extraordinary place of power in a world that was very, very difficult and certainly a job that never happened before for a woman, which is obviously a great thing. Yeah. And, you know, that's wonderful. Um, she was a mean lady with terrible politics, though. Yeah, she, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. the lady's uh, bad. Yeah, and, 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 yeah. Her direct action and created lots of deaths, uh, yeah. some of which were displayed in the movie. Some were not. <laughs> some very quickly in the yeah. movie. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think that makes for a very, very complicated movie. Like. I understand from a screenwriting point of view, for instance, the kind of um, narrative bracketing of her letting go of her late husband. Like it, it's a huge, it's, it's certainly the easiest way to humanize yeah. her. I think it's all yeah. they really had actually to really like get to a humanizing place. And, and Jim Broadbent is about the best person you can cast, I think, to just kind of have a jovial older British fellow that everybody's going to like on just what looking at him, you know, yeah. you just, we're, you, talking, you, we're talking a top two G contender and Jim uh, Broadbent this top, week. Top oh, two. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, and he's great in the movie. I like his performance. It does. It is kind of messed up that like, you know, it becomes clear in the movie that she's suffering from dementia or possibly Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And it's weird how they treat like, it's like having dementia, sort of like having your husband be the great gazoo. Like, <laughs> just commentating on like, it's like, no. This Doing is good, like Charlie Chaplin routines and yeah. shit like that. And then a Peter Sellers routine that's not yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> puts on that, uh, puts on the, the, yeah, the, the turban thing. Turban, constant yeah. bits, yeah. just unbearably constant bits <laughs> from Jim Broadbent. From two <laughs> people who in their, who in real life were probably not funny at all. Oh, no. no, not at all. There were no, um, no bits yeah, happening. This is a, I think it's a very, like, comp, it's a complicated movie. Like, apparently, Thatcher's kids said it sounded like some left-wing fantasy, which is not the movie I watched at all. No, um, I didn't see that. Other people said that, like, Meryl Streep was going to Americanize the entire thing. Um, it is... And just reading, I I am not, I don't think any of, I'm, I won't speak for you guys, but I'll speak for myself. I'm no expert in British politics mm -hmm. or really British history of this era. I mean, 
you know, cursory knowledge, did some research the last few days on Thatcher and kind of, because um, it is very complicated, her entire story. I think it's still being sorted through um, and still certainly feel people are still feeling the effects of it. Um, you know, I guess to dive into the performance though, this is the first of our 16 movies with Meryl Streep that I found her scary. Mm, interesting. I don't know how you feel, Patrick. I, I, in particular, obviously we could point to the scene where she's editing in real time her assistant's uh, work. Oh yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> that was so cutting. Um, this is like, I can't believe I'm saying it. It is like she deserved the Oscar for it. She's really good in this movie. She's like, excellent in the film. It, it's so it, it is like by far the best part. Like this movie, and I will say, like it, there is like this sense of like, you know, it does feel like this movie was literally created so Meryl Streep can get an Oscar. Like it is like, and I, and I know that can't be the case. Like you can't make a movie with that. Like you know they all had would have had to wanted to make this movie but it is just like she gets so much to do and she is so like it's like you get this perfect fusion of subtle streep and uh overacting streep and she like disappears into the role in a way that like uh, i don't think the, i've uh, seen her the hair and makeup work well deserving academy oh, yeah. award there too the incredible oh, stuff and her, the, the gal who played the young um, Thatcher, they look so so much alike. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. Alexander Roach. Uh, yeah, no, 100%. Um, and on top of this, it's so funny because like the movie I compare this to in my head is uh, the Winston Churchill movie with Gary Oldman. Sure, yeah. Uh, um, and Darkest she, Hour. Darkest Hour. I can it's, remember that one. <laughs> And, like, it's funny because, like, I think that movie is, like, technically a better film than this movie, but the performance in this movie is so much stronger than, and she's able to act under all this, like, crazy prosthetics and, uh, I don't know, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just, uh, she, yeah, it's like one of those movies where she 100%, it's like a, a, you know, a great Daniel Day-Lewis performance or something where she, but it's not a Daniel Day-Lewis performance in the sense that it's not like, I feel like Daniel Day-Lewis is great, but he's also like very like, uh, he can be sometimes very flowery and very like um, over, like overacting in a good way, but like still like, and she's not overacting in this movie. There's not a moment in this movie where I feel like she's crossing the line and like trying to get that, have that Oscar moment. You know what I mean? No, there are no, I have so many doubts, or yes. at least I got to saying moments in this, in this film. And I think the difference is, is Daniel Day-Lewis is like 98% technically gifted, but then there's the 2% of him that's a crazy person that oh, yeah. slowly like, seeps out in each of his films. His cobbler comes out. Yeah, Meryl's 100% a technically great actor. I don't think she has that two percent crazy person that daniel day lewis could bring out i wish she did but uh you know one thing i noticed about this movie though you know you can see so much this could sound very like flowery and cheesy it's all right but you can see so much of like what an actor is doing in their eyes Mm. like how and she got a double mm when you said that one we both went mm with with, (laughs) with how smart and knowledgeable that was (laughs) Mm in stereo But in this one, she 
kind of the lightness that Meryl always has, even in like Sophie or um, Doubt when she's like playful in the couple moments she's playful in that, it's gone in this movie when she's playing Thatcher at her peak. Like she's so intense and so like, you can like see the like absolute conviction Mm-hmm. in what she believes like the scene where she's like bomb them bomb them all on the Falkland Islands war oh. sequence you're like this is like George C. Scott shit like it's um <laughs> you know what I mean it's like yeah it's yeah. It, and I have not I have in all 16 movies we've watched I have not seen that yeah even Devil Wears Prada where she's playing a similar like tough powerful person there's there is like those scenes like you realize like oh this is she's holding this together you never feel like margaret thatcher is holding it together you just feel like this is like the movie i compared this one to this afternoon was actually steve jobs Ah, which it was that level of conviction that uh fassbender has when he's playing jobs throughout all those scenes like you know except like in this one they don't like like Jobs gets the moment with his daughter at least where they kind of lighten him up. It's like, oh, maybe he has a soul. And this one, you're like, I don't know what her, like, you know, she's so scary. Like, there's something about her that was so like chilling in this film. And I don't even know if that's a Meryl choice or if it's a real thing. I mean, like, yeah, and there are, like, moments where they try to soften her up. Like, there is that, I do think there is, like, the, I think about the driving scene. Like, the, 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 the when the, the daughter, Olivia Coleman's character, is driving for the first time. Mm. Uh, or not for the first time, but it's, like, you know, uh, it, maybe it is the first time. But uh, she's, like, a new driver, and she is, uh, what was it? Like, she's about to run into a car or something, and she's, like, you know, you got to turn, honey, or you got to move over, honey, or whatever. And she's like, oh, no, I'll do it when I can't. And eventually she, like, screams and, like, takes the wheel from her. Yeah. Which is, like, you know, kind of like a metaphor for, I feel like she's done that a lot throughout the film with other people. Well, the, then the very next scene, she says, then the poor can starve or something oh, like God, that. Oh, God, yeah. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. After she shares, like, also, a weird... I think it's funny that you say that that's her empathizing scene, because I specifically remember, is they go home and then she's, like, I'm going to be prime minister and like, like just yep. fucks over her daughter and having her one day and like her, literally her daughter walks out of the room. Her husband's like, you don't even care about us. And this is supposed to be her humanizing <laughs> moment. And I think that, I mean, like, like with a lot of like, okay, uh, we're not, a, we're not a political podcast. Uh, so I don't think my next statement is going to be all that country. Everyone who goes into politics to actually be fully in charge is a sociopath. Oh yeah, a monster. <laughs> like even your faves, oh, they're demon. all they're demons. Yeah. Yes. And so, <laughs> like, how do you expect? Like, like now you're just going to ignore us to be prime minister? Yeah, that's exactly what she's going to do. Yeah, that's, she's, she's that's what she wants. It's the quest for power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Read the Robert Carroll Lyndon Johnson books, baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolute ambition. Just yeah. in 100%, 100% ambition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and 
she's very like like a lot of these politicians whether you agree with them or not she's very very good at her job she understands how to do it she would not have been this this longest serving prime minister if she hadn't been i mean 11 years is a very long time if you think about just like recent years oh yeah what what has happened over there i mean it's just you know, complete chaos. Um, she, she was like apparently very pro. She did not want to join the EU in the first place, so she would have been way on board with Brexit. <laughs> oh but, yeah. She, she would, what are like? Sense to me. Do you think she would have been uh, friendly with Nigel Farage? If uh... I don't. <laughs> would have loved Boris Johnson. Would have loved uh, the Orange Man on our side of the pond. You know, you she would have found him. Uh, she she would have found him crude, but his methods are effective. Yeah, no. he, has a, he, ha, he has a philosophy. They have a philosophy there. Do they really? Um, <laughs> not a not a political podcast. <laughs> um, no. But I think going back to like the cinematic side of this movie, um, you know, one thing this movie is only one hundred and four minutes long. Margaret Thatcher's Wikipedia page, when printed out, is fifty pages long. I just. I think this is a I I'm a pro I'm a pro movie boy, mm-hmm. like I choose movies over the long form, but this is a miniseries. This is yeah. a ten episode show. I you if to get the fuller picture, to get a, you know they can present what happened and let you choose, in a way, whether you think she was right or wrong. Yeah. Um. I don't think this one really. They they don't make a choice in that. And instead, they, in their 104 minutes, they kind of willy-nilly dance around everything. And it's, uh, it's very, like, wild the way it bounces back and forth between the late life and early life and kind of the yeah. time jumps. All right, it was it's quite amb- it's, amb- it's ambitious. I'll give it that. Like, much like French Lieutenant, it's trying something. It's trying to be a little bit fresher. And I almost want like the yeah the darkest hour a little stodgier yeah style just to kind of present it you know especially as Americans not this this movie's not necessarily for us mm-hmm. I would have liked to learn more I mean all your you know your basic knowledge of her is like she's like Reagan but co- coherent and worse that's all I ever heard <laughs> like a, more, a, a more ruthless and effective Ronald Reagan yeah 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 I, I, it was interesting I feel like we spent both too much time and not enough time with the like early life courtship between her and her husband because it yeah. was both like I didn't need to see any of it but also I got zero, there was so little chemistry between them. He was so weird growing up. He was just this like lanky. The guy who who played him was a strange actor. I mean, like God bless him for making choices. But uh, that was was, uh, Harry Lloyd. And that was the guy who played uh, uh, the brother to uh, uh, Khaleesi in Game of Thrones. The guy who gets like the molten gold poured on his head. Uh, that I did not recognize him in that role. Uh, yeah, it's just an yeah. odd. He has an odd energy. That dude. He's very like. Uh, yeah. He felt he had a very like Waluigi energy in this movie. <laughs> I think it was like it was all limbs. He he was very he 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 was always pulling out weird shit to show to her. Like he had this mouth that was his proposal sucked. 
I it was like I, it was really really odd. Like, well, it's, it is essential though. You're you're, you're like you're, yeah. you said it was too much and it's weird, but to cross the finish line on the synthetic stuff that they absolutely need to make her a likable character, which all rests on this her husband's oh yeah shoulders yeah. and like to make her a visible human being basically yeah uh it's yeah you're right though it is bizarre and then you get like stock footage of the riots she caused or inspired and you're like what what, what are those for you know right. like all of the political moments are like Boop, boop, boop. And then she's in a yeah. car looking out the window at the same six protesters bat- batting at her car. Yeah, you get like and this you'll... isn't this isn't a political podcast, yeah. but oh, yeah. um, but I did I felt especially in the early bits when we were going back and forth between really young Margaret Thatcher and uh the turning turning senile Margaret Thatcher, I was like, I, I came for the insane power lady who is like gonna be screaming in congress like where's that like i just it took me a little bit to get into this film i think because of that uh where i was i was expecting them to just get me some you know just power moves from streep right away and she's just shuffling around in between rooms like a scooby-doo character in one of the chase scenes and how about uh, the uh how about the bernie sanders look alike she absolutely shuts down on the labor side too she (laughs) she told him the tea she gave him the smackdown he just him and the rest of the boys yeah they took it they took it hard they took it hard big yeah yeah, big out of africa energy in this movie where it's like yeah it's all about trying to get into those smoky rooms with the boys yeah, and only men. There's only men in Parliament. Oh, There's yeah. not even a single woman anywhere in the building. Oh. It's just Mayor. It's just Marguerite, Maggie Thatcher, and the boys. And it's just well, like the, it's the, also um, that's historically completely inaccurate. Uh, speaking of which, uh, during her time in Parliament, the total number of female MPs ranged from 19 to 41. Oh wow. Probably so, better in uh, America uh, yeah. in that time but, uh, and now. <laughs> but vi- but visually, she does stick out in her blue suit amongst all those old stodgy dudes. Yeah. It looks great. It, it, yeah, it's, it's, cinematically, it does look great. So. <laughs> uh, what was I going to I want to see more scenes, though, in Parliament. I like the what British Parliament screaming at each other from across the room style. I think that that's... Uh, Fairly endlessly entertaining. Oh, it's so much cooler yeah. than the most boring American Congress. Yeah, like, just does not have the same energy as like because they get like fiery there in London I, town. Well, as well, far we, as I can have... tell, is the rules are just two people stand up on either side and scream at each other, and the people that like each side kind of screams raise, along. Raise some papers. <laughs> yeah, they they, they flap stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't I mean, understand what they're accomplishing, but I love watching it. It's that's that's cool. government right there. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, the big difference is, is um, you know, the British, they are like long distance fail sons in their, in their government. <laughs> Whereas in America, um, we got like hot off the factory floor. Oh yeah, fail, like first generation fail sons yeah, who are taking over mounds, now. Those mounds of Pillberry, Pillsbury dough uh, turned into golems. Yeah, I mean the, for, the House for, of Lords. It's just like, I mean, it's they've been they've been nothing but fail sons and daughters for so many generations going back mm-hmm. that 
they're practiced and learned at it. They have the understanding and the knowledge of what it takes to just, you know, really have no reason to think you're amazing and special and just hate all of those underneath you and really yeah. and like channel that into politics. I mean, we're talking thousands of years of practice and hating the people below you. And uh, speaking of fail sons, uh, Mark Thatcher, pretty high-end fail son himself. Oh, man. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, what energy does he exude? Is he like a Hunter um, Biden kind of cool yeah, fail son? Oh, yeah. Or like oh, a... Oh, not cool, but also doing illegal crimes oh, in ooh. foreign countries, taking right. money from people level. Real estate jobs gone awry like level fail son. Oh, man, son. so like a Huckaboy kind of almost. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of that Huckaboy fail son. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, OG Failson, the British, you know, they started it there, then they came over the water and gave it to America. Oh, God bless them. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was like, um, you were saying this before we were recording, Donald, but um, just very quickly, I do want to say that uh, we need, like, it w- if only there was, like, yeah, whatever, whoever the British version of Oliver Stone is. Yeah. Yeah, like, there needs to be, I want to see that movie, because, like, there's vibe, there's Nixon vibes that sort of permeate this movie. Like there are moments where you almost get an idea of like what uh, Thatcher was going for. And like, you see like, yeah, that, 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 that there are moments and her fiery moments in parliament and whatnot. But yeah, like we never get like the, we never get the meat. We never get like a, a, a reaming, you know, we never see like uh, the, the, whoever the British equivalent to Alan Dulles is. Uh, with totally so, dilated pupils. Some Sick. MI6 psycho. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. So no, I think, um, have you ever seen um, Secret Honor? It's a Robert Altman movie. No. It's no. Uh, it's a one-man movie that uh, Philip Baker Hall plays Richard Nixon. And it's like his last night in office before he's going to resign. And he's just getting drunk and ranting to himself. That's what I want to see. I want to see Maggie Thatcher getting drunk and just ranting. Like, let Meryl Streep, one woman show, hour and a half of her just ranting. Oh. And, and, like, they never they never should have even argued with me about the Falklands. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with the Jorge Luis Borges uh, quote. <laughs> it was two bold men fighting over a comb. Yeah. And she just gets more of Dennis. Dennis, get in here. <laughs> Do your turban bit again. It's the only thing that's made me laugh in 15 years. I'm going to show a young Justin Trudeau this bit. Did did any of the did any of the bits that he did make you guys laugh at any point in the movie because I was not enthused by any I thought they were all so weird and but they were performative phony. and like they were phony. The, the, it was mean, corny. Yeah, it's so phony. Yeah, it was yeah. just an attempt to make us feel something. And speaking of wasted geniuses, uh, I just re- was looking at this cast list. Oh, Richard E. Grant just buried, just buried with like four lines. Uh, yeah, we'll love to see more of him. Like, you know, usually these movies are a little more stacked with uh, that guy or that gal in the world of uh, British film and get a taste of it here, but I could have used a little bit more of the uh, weird world of British supporting actors next. Oh, yeah, because like that's what I, I love. There love are about... a couple of people I love. Oh, go yeah. ahead, Patrick. I was going to say, that's what I love about Nixon is that like you get like a great James Wood performance, James Wood's performance. You get like 
maybe the best uh, Paul Servino performance ever when he plays Kissinger. Like, mm. so good as Kissinger. Uh, yeah, yeah. Joan, is it Joan Allen is playing uh, Pat Nixon? Yes. Am I? I think so. Okay. I'm like 95. I'm not going to look it up, though. We'll have to wait for the angry hate mail if we're wrong. Uh, yeah, but, uh, we'll hear it from the listeners on oh, that. Oh, yeah, the listeners. Yeah, my mom's oh. going to angrily email Yeah, we get one email from my dad just like, <laughs> I watched Kissinger last night. <laughs> yeah, Joan, it was uh, Glenn Close, you fool. My dad's email subject line would be, be fuck Nixon, comma, but... <laughs> but uh yeah i'm looking at this like and there's so many ways to yeah like roger allen uh uh richard e grant like you said olivia coleman wasted there was a cameo from phoebe waller bridge a young phoebe Waller. yeah um and it's like yeah none of these people really get much to do it's really just like meryl streep and then jim broadbent and then to a very lesser degree olivia coleman yeah and like the gal who played the young Batcher, I thought got. Oh yeah, she got some got fun. some stuff to do too. And um, but yeah, I think like why wasn't this movie about a half hour longer? Should have like, been. Like when I when I went to rent it, I was genuinely surprised. I was thinking we were facing down a hundred thirty minute movie, mm-hmm. and I was like one oh four. That seems awfully short. Yeah, and it is a brisk movie. It's odd. I feel considered. like very few. I'm trying to remember the biopics I've seen. I mean, you're trying to fit an entire person's life into a film, or at least the most important and interesting parts. You know, I I, I have to imagine Ray is at least an hour and a half. Like, yeah. I mean, uh, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, it does. See, that's the thing where, like, I feel like there is, like, a part of me. It's like, it's a short movie, and it really does have the energy of, like, it feels like it was, like, made. It, this movie feels like it was, like, made in a lab specifically to get Meryl Streep an Oscar. Like it does feel like, yeah. cause she does get like a lot to do in this movie, but the movie itself is like, it just seems like a Streep vehicle. Like, it just seems like, you know, it's like Meryl Streep is like the the delicious uh, caviar in the movies, the shitty ass blints it's put on. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that there's, um, there's elements actually of our the other end of this of our drama bracket matchup between these two movies tonight too Kramer versus Kramer and Doubt. Mm-hmm. We're seeing one movie from earlier in Streep's career where she wasn't established, where it wasn't a Meryl Streep vehicle. It was Meryl Streep's a great actor in this thing. Yes. Whereas like later on a movie like Iron Lady or Doubt, it's like oh it's a Meryl Streep film. Like yeah. you're coming for her. She's a movie. She's the oh, movie yeah. star. You want to see her fireworks. I mean, I think that this one though, I think she's doing some really like, unex- like there's certainly like, especially I think when she's playing kind of the older, for lack of a better term, more senile mm-hmm. version of, I feel like that streep, I, I expected kind of what she was doing in those scenes, but certainly the inner prime Thatcher Meryl Streep was doing some stuff we haven't seen before, I don't think, in this tournament. And I thought it was very, very exciting. You know, if they, if this had come out a few years later and they had a few more books, maybe they could have done some Irishman technology and she could have played the oh. uh, 20-year-old or 15-year-old Thatcher. That would have been great. You just got two oohs from us. Yeah. The score this, if you're scoring at home, that's two oohs. Yeah. You got two ums and two oohs already yeah. for Don on the, on the board. Yeah, and like, why wasn't Meryl Streep in the damn Irishman? Ah, uh, she could have played somebody in there. 
Get her yeah. in the mix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She could have played the. Uh, she could have played uh, the the trying to think of a performance she could have played in that movie. The so, Sebastian, the the Maniscalco, who's that comedian that plays, yeah. she, she could have played that character. Tom Maniscalco, yeah. Yes. Bob, Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, she could have been the mm-hmm. Bobby Cannavale. Yeah, you had that scene of her cutting a chicken's head off in the beginning. Yeah. Very unnerving and fun. Here's the thing about the Irishman, though. You can't perfect perfection. Moving along. Oh, yeah, that was my favorite movie of 2019. Yeah. It's, 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 no, we're not, I don't think we're joking. But, um, yeah, no, I love that movie, unironically. Yeah. Yeah. I made my parents watch it on Thanksgiving. 4,000%. It is, it, it, is, it is a Thanksgiving movie. I'm a parasite's the best movie of 2019, boy, but I understand. That's uh, it's it's also a good opinion. I think that both of those films are masterpieces, and oh, yeah. I was a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the best movie of the year. So we're all in different categories. Ah, different but, boys. Uh, different boys, but all good boys with good taste. Yes. Yeah, it's it's not one boy doing three different voices. This is, this is three <laughs> boys. No, there. although we could make a film like for French Lieutenant's Woman where it's just like three different timelines, but we're just... Three different boys who are fans of three different movies. I'm sure yes. that would be very entertaining. <laughs> and then for 75% yeah. of the film, we're in a Victorian drama for some reason. Yep. For <laughs> some reason. But you know, I you know, to get back to Iron Lady, I want to talk a little bit more about kind of just the way that the cinematic style of the movie is. I, I found it really jarring the more I think about it. Like oh, yeah. I, and I admire them for kind of going for more high energy, you know, a few more cinematic tricks, but I just like, I don't feel I learned much of anything about what wow. happened between 1979 and 1990 that really were very important toward kind of, let's say the Western world. Yeah. I mean, right? I learned- and, and to a lot of unfortunate members of countries that were not a part of the Western world, frankly. <laughs> I mean, I learned that Meryl Streep's a great actor. Yeah. Like, that's like yep. the thing you learn from it. Like, oh, wow, and Meryl Streep's great. There was opposition to some of the things she wanted to do because she's a lady and then she overcame it. That was not always it would happen, but there was a, a couple of moments, particularly of that being the driver that. Oh, yeah. There was a little me, bit of uh, that. In a, in a hard- yeah. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. There was also a little quite a bit more of like there's opposition because her ideas were mean. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't think anybody was like rioting or, or protesting at coal mines because she was a lady. They were protesting no. because they were she was like hurting their livelihoods. Yeah. I, I guess I'm thinking of of something like uh when they were trying to uh when she was trying to get the Falklands War off the ground, yeah, and there was a room full of men screaming at her about how it was a, a terrible idea, and you know she's like, "You don't have the balls. You gotta do what's necessary for this country." And somebody's like, "You don't know what war is." And she goes, "Sir, I I don't remember exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but essentially, I know what war is." I've been a woman in politics in Britain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. it was definitely like this like weird you go girl, like woman can start wars too. Yes. Well, that, and then was the, uh, yeah, that was the contradictory elements to this. That was, that was yeah. the major contradictory elements of this movie because obviously the message of like equality and so oh, forth is all yes. incredibly important and good, but they picked the strangest vessel. 
Like I yeah. saw on my yes. um on Amazon, the movie that was suggested to watch next was the Ruth Bader Ginsburg biopic that came out like last year. And I'm like, yeah. I assume that one actually hits all of the notes we kind of are expecting. Oh yeah. For a very positive film about equality and moving forward in the world. And they and they picked a vessel for it who is decent. Yeah. To choose for that kind of thing. Yeah, and, at least yeah. comparably, yeah. Yeah. And it's like this this lady was very like intense and mean. Yeah. And, and like, and, like literally starve children. <laughs> and it's not like yeah, and it's like show that. Like have the complexity. Yeah. Like, yeah, give, oh, give Margaret Thatcher the the you know it's almost disrespectful to make her this weird like uh lady with a great gazoo husband dead husband like it's just it's just i don't know like it's like yeah they it's like uh give give us like the complex film this performance deserves yeah. i think yeah. you know my general opinion on biopics is that you should not nobody's life is nobody's full life is interesting enough to make a movie about or is it like mm-hmm. a story that you can tell from beginning to end in a in a like satisfying way mm-hmm. and it's much it's almost always so much more interesting and so much better to focus on some period of time yeah you know i think for maggie thatcher i mean you could you know do the basically pick the movie up where she decides to run for prime minister mm-hmm. that whole her her like transformation into deep voiced powerful maggie and then up through her entire political career almost gets skipped over to a certain degree in this movie you would have gotten you would have gotten meryl streep just prime meryl streep you wouldn't have to do any older you would have to cast a young girl too you could have had her for all two hours yes yeah i agree completely and i know that yeah i think this might come all the way just back to Roger Ebert's comment that they need to have some level of an opinion. Yep. Uh, especially because every, every, outside of Meryl Streep, every single person involved in the main crew of this film is British. And yes. all of them grew up or were alive or cognizant or were adults oh, when yeah. Thatcher was around. So they certainly either they were very pro or very con. I mean, I think, I think, yeah, like present her years as prime minister, give us exactly what she was facing and what choices she made. And then like consider the audience fucking smart enough to make their own decisions yeah. on what we think of her. Cause like, you know, people will argue, you know, her neoliberal politics led to quite a bit of at times during her reign, economic success. And for a lot of people, you know, she made millionaires richer. She privatized everything. So there's a lot of people who, you know, feel quite a bit about that. But there's also a lot of people who to this day hate her guts and Mm -hmm. danced when she died. Oh, yeah. And that is important stuff to know that Mm -hmm. she and even though she's been dead and she's been out of power for almost 30, she's been out of power for 30 years and she's been dead for almost 10 she's still having an effect on a lot of people of England's day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. And I will say on the subject of dancing, uh, that the, the the punk song about Margaret Thatcher, yeah. one of the most cursed pieces of music I've ever heard. And it's one of, <laughs> I might play that as the outro music for yeah. this episode. Oh yeah. man, yeah, it is like the Margaret Thatcher, she's really swell. Like it was very weird. 
Yeah, there's I, a I, lot I, of punk songs about her too. Yeah, I, 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 I had to listen. I, I had to go and look up what's going on in that song when I heard it because I was like, what? Apparently, it's just it's not pro. It's not anti. They were just like, it's part of the moment. We're just having a fun time with this song. It's just. <laughs> It's just, you know, us making, you don't need to make a point. You can just say you're in love with Maggie Thatcher and that's a cool song for a punk to do. Weird. Weird. So weird. I guess it's sort of punk. I don't know, man. Yeah. What could be more punk than declaring your love for the conservative prime minister of your country? Yeah. There's nothing more punk than having no opinion about someone who's controversial. Yeah. This movie is super punk. This is yeah, a this is a punk rock, rock film. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's the yeah. two thumbs up from Joey Ramone. Yeah, I think I think both movies this week. I would I would say like a few more tweaks could have gotten them in a much different place. Oh yeah. But in yeah. particular, yeah, this one it's so strange for someone such a big deal. This movie and with such a like honestly towering performance mm-hmm. from the leading actor. For a movie to feel this slight and uh, this kind of empty, I mean, just the way it's skimmed. I mean, I, we talked about it before we came on the show. The part where the IRA bombs the hotel that she mm-hmm. and her husband are staying in, and they're nearly killed. Yeah. Just skimmed over and kind of left to a joke with him in the shoes. Yeah. And that's a major thing. Like... That would that, it should change your entire philo- or at least harden or strengthen or yeah. something your convictions. It's just kind of a thing, a, another fun. I mean, it was very Forrest Gumpy. I feel like at times in the way that things were presented, where it was just like, here's another fun event on the path yeah. that she led. Here's a good like one. That. Here, this one's not so good. Yeah. Here's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Not great. Yeah. Now it's yeah. just yeah. This is a this is a wheat pancake of a damn movie. It's a weak pancake of a film, <laughs> and it's just, it is just a, it is, a, its job is to put the little Salmon Rose of street performance moments into your mouth. That's literally it. Mm-hmm. But I, I have to say, Patrick, I think Rotten Tomatoes needs to be on the lookout because your pancake rating system is taking things to the next level uh, when yeah. it comes to uh, food related <laughs> movie reviews. Is this a, a weedy pancake or a buttery French toast? Yeah. Man, when when you give uh you know with blueberries in your yeah. reviews, like it's it's like Paul Hollywood giving a handshake in Great British Baking Show. It's yeah. just one of those little treats where you're just you. It really fills you up. It makes you it makes you excited. I wonder what Paul Hollywood thought of the Iron Lady. Oh. I think he's a Tory. I I'm gonna I'm yeah. gonna go ahead and say it. I you know I I I think a 100% Prue loves Maggie. Thatcher Prue is a, a full on like like they they are they are in her mind like we're living the same path we're walking down the same road me as a confectionery baker her as yeah. the first prime pre, uh, you know PM in politics uh, for yeah. woman you know it's it's, it's my guess thing. is that Paul Hollywood is is a single issue voter and that is he does not want to pay taxes. That's my uh, the vibe I would get from him. Like, I've worked my ass off for my baking 
empire. Why should I pay any taxes on this? He's also a cad yeah. too, speaking of which. Oh, I always get around. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. No, I was going to say, I think, yeah, some like relaxing of public sex laws might be another thing on his <laughs> docket. That's probably the only yeah. thing. No, he's uh, fiscally conservative, morally liberal. <laughs> yeah. 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 He's a South yeah. Park libertarian. Yeah. I mean, I get it. If I if I was walking down the street and I saw those baby blues shining down on me, I would yeah. Let's hop in the bush and do whatever you want, Paul. It's time. You know, it's it's. Yeah. I think that is a better. That's a better England. If if that's what is allowed. Yeah. Yeah. I think my review. I think Paul Hollywood's review of uh, the Iron Lady would be uh, not enough crumble. Could use more cinnamon. Not- Little claggy. A little claggy. This film is a little claggy, mate. You, you try and use chocolate there? Yeah, it's not going to work. Not going to work. Not going to work. This movie needs to be longer. Yeah. <laughs> needs a coconut element. Yeah, I it, think it always... I, it, it blows my mind when Paul Hollywood tells somebody that their thing isn't going to work and then they continue along that path anyway. Like, didn't take the hint. Like, just, do, yeah. like, I don't know if, if we're, if y'all are caught up on recent, I on just the most recent the cas- British. The, the cassette, the chocolate cassette cake. Exactly it, my total, point. That was yeah, what I was going to talk about. Total disaster. Audience, hopefully you're all caught up too. It's been a few, it'll be a few weeks since that came out when this episode comes uh, There'll up. be time. If you, and it, if you need it, you know, pause, watch Dessert Week, uh, or yes. no, 80s Week, rather, um, it's an and, ice cream and come cake. back. And it's a, it's, a, it's a disaster. It is a total disaster, and, and multiple people were, were told straight up by both judges, this is a bad <laughs> idea, it will not work, and then when it did... <laughs> apparently when it did, 105 degrees in the tent that day. You're doing yeah. ice cream cake? Come on. Yeah, which also, I mean, we, I, I, I think there's an easy conspiracy to be had there. I think that's that's the judges knew what they were doing, scheduling the. They knew when ice cream cake day was gonna show up. You know, they had the schedule on their dockets. I don't need to get into conspiracy yeah. theories on Great British Baking Show, but that's yeah. that. Listen to my podcast if you want to hear about that. Oh, yeah. Coming soon, coming soon. We'll be guests. Hopefully, Hol- we'll see. Talking but, Hollywood uh, and Hollywood. Hollywood yeah. and Hollywood with the Academy Academy. But yeah, I think um, now that we've gotten through who we think if the judges of the Great British Bake Off would be pro or anti Margaret Thatcher, um, you know, I think let's dig in a little bit on our final thoughts on the Streep end of things on Iron Lady. And then I think it might be we're heading straight to the moment of truth for this for this matchup. But, um, you know, I think Streep, I think it's I think it really is. I mean, yeah, it's designed to win an Academy Award, but she's she's getting to do everything here, and she's doing everything, shooting for the moon and hitting it. I mean, this is this is some pretty top-notch stuff. She's working around a character that is inherently like like we've been kind of saying this is kind of scary, mean person, and um, it's pretty incredible what she's doing. I mean, yeah. You know. I mean, it is just like, to me, it is just like an example of like, this is like the movie you show to someone, like if you're in a, an argument with someone about whether or not Meryl Streep is a good actor, you can just <laughs> show like a compilation of scenes from this movie out of context and you'd be able to win that argu- argument. Because it is just like, it almost, yeah, it feels like sometimes this feels like less like a film and more of just like, like a demo, like a Streep demo. Like this is like, but like, it's all, or like, it's not even a demo. It's like, this is Streep at full power. We're showing you Streep like 
using all of her tools in her claw in her, her tool shed. Like this is like this is what Streep can do when she's firing on all cylinders. One hundred percent. Yeah, and rising above the material, frankly. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Caviar yeah. and a blini. I, I would argue. I think that I think French lieutenants women. I think despite having most of the performance be this kind of dull, uh, um, un uh, mysterious person, I think the movie itself has more bones to it than the Iron Lady does. And there's mm -hmm. like, there's more to latch onto as a film, but uh, the performance that she gives, particularly in her kind of middle-aged full power uh, years is just so intense and and incredible and um i think it it broke through uh some pretty strong negative biases that i had coming into the movie uh that that the fact that i ended the movie with any degree of of empathy other than the empathy for any person going through the kinds of uh you know end of life um the brain devolution that that she was going through is you know is astounding that they were that she would that Meryl Streep was able to get me there um I didn't think it was going to happen and uh yeah I think it, it, a truly great performance okay well let's um you know let's get into it let's get in these final votes what do you all say uh it's uh Adam you're actually going to be going last okay. for your vote here uh Patrick will go first I'll go second uh, we'll be voting first for our Tucci Award winner this week, and then you'll make your pick for. Um, before we, uh, we go into the Tucci Awards, yes. I would like to just—it's probably more of an honorable mention now that we're we're approaching it here. But I just want to shout out Anthony Head uh, mm. Giles from uh, Buffy, who does a wonderful job getting bullied. By by Margaret Thatcher, it's explicitly said in the movie that he bullied her. She bullied him so much that he quit, and it's part of what like destroyed her uh, like politics at the end of the movie. Uh, so big big shout out to to Giles and uh, his his work getting bullied. Oh man, an excellent weenie. Yeah, no, I agree. So Patrick, why don't you uh, why don't you get us started? Oh man, you know what? I'm gonna just uh, do the easy one. I'm gonna pick the easy one out the gate this time. Uh, I gotta give my teach to Jeremy Irons. Oh uh, yeah, I loved his <laughs> performance. I love his uh, soulful eyes. I wish that Jeremy Irons is, was a big is a bigger act. It was a bigger name than he is. Like uh, he's done so many great role. He's done so many uh, great works, and he has an Oscar under his belt. It's just uh I just he should be on the same level as like a like a Tom Cruise or something. Like I want to see Jeremy Irons in Mission Impossible. <laughs> I want to see. Uh, but uh, he's just a great. He's great as like the the protagonist of. He's a good Stingo. He's probably one of the better Stingos we've had. Yeah, uh, uh, so, I agree. Yeah, so I have to give it to Jeremy Irons. Solid Stingoing. Nice job, Jeremy. Congratulations. Um, you know, I thought this week was kind of tough in the Tucci category. I don't think we had like a out and out. There was no Rick Springfield Oh yeah, this no, there week. There was no Stanley Tucci. There was no Kevin Klein. I mean, we're talking top of the line street cohorts. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm going to go though this week with, I think 
It's a semi-confusing part and performance. But this man is charming. And we gotta, I gotta go with Jim Broadbent in The Iron Lady as my Tucci Award this week. I think he was doing the Lord's work in trying to lighten up Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but he yeah. tried his best. So congratulations, Jim. Um, you know, I was thinking uh, if, if he didn't get picked, I was going to go for, for Mr. Broadbent there. Um, with him in absence, I think I got to go uh, Patience Collier as, yeah. uh, as Mrs. Pulteney. Mm. Um, so good. Uh, a very fun, just like embodiment of the the morality of Victorian era uh, woman. Just a uh, just just this mean, as mean as as Maggie Thatcher is. I think this woman. <laughs> I think rival. I think is maybe meaner. Um, oh yeah, a, a sumptuous prickly pear performance. I love. Yeah. They they would have had a very silent death glary tea together. <laughs> oh. Just calling each other mother for two hours. <laughs> yeah. I'll be mother. No, I want to be mother. I want oh, to be. Congratulations to all three of our Tushi Award winners this week. The check is in the mail. Um, <laughs> Patrick, moment of truth. Let's hear it. Oh, God. This is so hard. It sucks. I feel like I'm going first, but it feels like uh, I think I, I can predict. I think I know where both of you are going. Where you? So it's like Oh uh, man, on one hand, French Lieutenant's woman, like she, it's a dual role essentially, and uh, she does a great job. Uh, I think she does a great job uh, juggling both of those performances. Uh, and also, that's not a role. Here's the thing, too, like that I feel like I want to factor in is that Iron Lady, like it does feel like it was made in a factory. There is like a mercenary element. It feels like this was literally just designed to like, show off the Streep 5000 and all of it in all of its glory. Like, it's like, <laughs> just like a pure, like, cause like the movie itself feels so inconsequential to the performance. Mm -hmm. uh, oh man, but it's like, it's a great performance though. That's the thing. It is like, you know, you said it yourself, like, you know, she called it and she hit the home run, you know, like she hit it at the park. It's, it's, it's tough, but, um, and I do think that, like, yeah, uh, her uh, her scene, her moment in the forest with Jeremy Irons, her as Woodruff, that's like one of my when she's talking about, like, you know, being freed from uh, the shame being the shame she bears being freeing. Uh, you know, that was like one of my top, you know, probably my top ten uh, street performances, maybe like six or fifth, like it might even be the top five. Uh, but and I don't know if there's like a top. Five moment, weirdly enough, in Iron Lady, but the whole thing is like a nine point five. Like the whole performance is so like consistently good, and part of what makes it so good is that she doesn't have a showy like she doesn't even like she has showy moments. Don't get me wrong, but there's nothing like I don't know. It's like I, the thing that's memorable about it is its consistency. Uh, and so like with a heavy heart, I think it's Iron Lady. I have to give it. It's, it's hard. It's hard, but it's true. I didn't think yeah. it would be Iron Lady. I I was expecting like a King's Speech like level of like, because like King's Speech is like a better movie than Iron Lady. King's Speech is a better movie than oh, Iron 100%, Lady. Oh, 100%, 100%. But like, I think yeah. like Meryl Streep does a better performance here than Colin Firth or Jeffrey, uh, 
Mm -hmm. uh, Rush. Yeah. I think like she just uh, inhabits the role, and part of it's it's such a meaty role to have. Like Margaret Thatcher is gonna be, she's like a character, and even if it's not like entirely like a uh, a movie with an opinion or a uh, perspective, like the performance itself lends itself to just uh, great acting. So yeah, Iron Lady. I gotta give it uh, Iron Lady. One one for Iron Lady. Um... I mean, I guess the real question is, should we have picked Silkwood? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I keep needing to be reminded almost that she's playing two parts in French Lieutenant's Woman. Like, I don't know why I forget that, mm -hmm. but she is. And they are two distinctly different people mm -hmm. in each of the parts, which is very impressive. You know, I think she... Uh, yeah, I agree that scene in the woods. I think everything she does in the and the in the actor the actor Anna that mm -hmm. side of things I think oh, is really good. terrific. It's a different side of her too that I don't think we've seen before in any of our previous films. It's like so it's, I, 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 I don't see her that confident until the Iron Lady. Sorry. Yeah, but she's she's chilly confident. She, yeah. frankly, she reminds you like an actress you would meet here in Los Angeles. Like there's this like. She's breezing through. She might be kind of paying a little bit, like uh, like or an actor too. I guess could be this way, um, kind of paying it, kind of paying attention to you. Maybe not at all. Definitely gonna go do their own thing, and that's the way. And you get they're gonna walk away like they were really interesting. They did not think twice about my existence. Interesting, and I think that that's a that's a cool character. That's we should see more of that character in film. Um, you know, I think the one thing I would say is in Iron Lady, I think the part where she's critiquing and dressing down her main assistant and just going into everything from the spelling and grammar on his work and just, just tearing him apart might very well be a top 10 street scene from what we've seen so far. Certainly haven't seen that scene at all. Like she's crazier and meaner in that scene than in any scene in Devil Wears Prada. That, that makes Get Me Armani meaningless. <laughs> and, uh, or even her, the madness of a movie that hasn't come up today, uh, Death Becomes Her. Mm. Uh, why did I pronounce it like that? I don't know. It's the prequel to her. It was yeah. Death Becomes Her. <laughs> this is a weird. I put some weird punctuation in the title of that movie somewhere. <laughs> Death Becomes Her. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, I think French Lieutenant's Woman is flawed, but I really think that they're trying for something very big and something very like a meaty big piece, a film that will be, and the, it's not like the film is like drifted away necessarily from cinema fans consciousness or anything like that. But I think that it doesn't, I don't think, like I mentioned, I don't think the film totally gets there. I think Meryl isn't given any justice really, or he isn't given much um, in the way of like, the script is uh, very elusive when it comes to her character. And so she's doing everything she can with it. But I think in Iron Lady, it's designed to be a showpiece for her. It's giving her every, everything 
that she could do. I mean, she's outside of, she's not particularly funny in the film, but you know, in terms of intense scenes, crying scenes, yeah. emotional scenes, uh, strong scenes, she gets to play a villain. Again, not a political podcast, but I think you probably can guess what we stand <laughs> by now. Um, and I just think, you know, it, it's, it feels cliched. I, I think that there was a genuine, I, 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 I think Patrick, you, Oh, probably felt the same way. There was kind of a desire not to pick the Iron Lady before yeah. we started, uh, before we watched these movies. Like, but kind of the hope. It's like, uh, yeah, it's that storyline and she won for it. Like, we can get a swerve in here. Maybe it isn't that good. The movie's not that good, but yeah. she is. Iron yeah. Lady's my pick. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I, um... I had two incredibly different experiences watching these two movies. Um, I think when I was watching The Iron Lady, it was at times a slog. Uh, not because of anything that Meryl was doing, but because of the story they were telling, the the lack of um, the lack of focus on on what the actual actions of these people were. Um, and the dual feeling of like uh you should empathize with this person but also here's a little bit of the stuff they did wrong like the again the the neutrality of the movie i think um i i would have if it was just a full-throated uh right-wing endorsement of her i feel like that would have made for a more interesting film if it was <laughs> a repudiation of her and a showing of the things that she did wrong i think that would have been a more interesting film as well um and uh at, at times it was a uh you know a start and stop movie for me there was there was you know I had no problem pausing it to go and to do what I needed to do and coming back and being like, okay, let's, let's keep going with this. Um, and the, the French Lieutenant's woman, which also I had to finish under time to start this podcast. So uh, that maybe uh, influenced the start and stop nature, but I was compelled. It was a, uh, it was a movie that I, from, from the opening moment where you're watching a movie that you think is going to be all a romance. And then you see like a crane, you hear somebody say and cue tracking and you're watching this uh, opening sequence. And it was just this like a very strange feeling. I, I don't think I've seen a movie like that where you're so incredibly aware from the very jump that you're watching a film that there is going to be some secondary storytelling going on here. And I'm glad that they hit that. Um, but neither of those things is Meryl Streep. Uh, nothing of what I'm talking about there is the performance. And I, I went into and left Iron Lady not wanting to vote for it. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I left it feeling like I, I hadn't wasted my time, but that it was, I hadn't, all of the learning I had done had come when I had paused the movie to look up, oh, I guess the the Argentinian government was actually fascist. So that was a good thing that she said, but it was a US backed fascist group that wasn't mentioned. And like things like that <laughs> yeah. just kept kept coming up. Um, but in the end, I just, as much as I loved everything that she did in French Lieutenant's Women, the dual role that she played incredibly, 
I, I have to go Iron Lady as well. I, I don't want to. And <laughs> it's just, and, and I honestly wasn't sure where I was going to go when I started this, this section, but it is just a powerhouse performance. I don't like that they built it for her, but she, she rode that vehicle as perfectly as you could. Yeah. Yeah, Lady going to win this whole thing. Oh God! It could. That is <laughs> very much. good. Like, that's that the thing. Good. It's about yeah. the performance. It's about it the is. folks. It's about the performance. Uh, uh, and Iron Lady has got quite a challenge though in the next round. Iron Lady versus Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. Two Academy Award winning films. All three of uh, Merrill's Academy wins are still in the tournament. Mind wow. you. But uh, Iron Lady's moving along. French Lieutenant's Woman, nice to know ya. Um, I think we're all satisfied that we got to know that film. So I, I definitely am. Win. I would love to see more films try to do what the French Lieutenant's Woman did. Yeah. I think it was a cool idea. I think, I think it should be done more. Yeah. I Is think it- uh, maybe worth a remake. Who's to say? Or another try at adapting the novel in a different way. But uh, that was the uh, French Lieutenant's Woman and Iron Lady. Now uh, we're going to be moving on to this week's game and chat. This week, you know, we talked about the Iron Lady. Politics, I think it's been on everyone's mind. Can't you say? I mean, whether it's on our show or out in the world. Yeah. Um, Meryl Streep has never run for political office, as far as we know. Mm-mm. But what if she did? What if Meryl Streep ran for president? And who would be her vice presidential running mate? The game today, running mates. Mm. You know, big one. I think Meryl Streep's been floated as kind of a fantasy celebrity pick in kind of the vein of an Oprah or a, you know, Oh, dating yeah. me, dating me a little bit of Warren Baby. Um, yeah, uh, big Bullworth energy. That, big okay. Bullworth energy. Yeah, Meryl Streep is Bullworth. Oh, Mamma Mia, that would be great. Oh, uh, word a new uh, breaking word on the Streep. Actually, on that note, apparently in the prom, the upcoming Meryl Streep film, she does rap. Oh my God. So uh, get ready for that. We and we and we will get we will hit you with that late breaking street news, as you all know. But back back to the game. <laughs> uh, Patrick, mm-hmm. who do you think uh, she's running? Okay, with? who's uh, on the ticket? It's on the ticket. Okay, if we're talking actors on the ticket, like if it's like a two like actor ticket. Um, you know, I almost think that she needs like a Tim Kaine esque person to like kind of call like a milk toast sort of into ah, it, like a subdued a stingo yeah hey, tim kane may have been the stingo of american politics oh huge stingo <laughs> tim kane is a hundred big stingo energy big peter magnical energy from all yeah old timmy canes uh, got but, some uh, jim broadbent energy too from from uh, iron lady i think yeah pay, yeah. The, pay, pay the set bear guys you're in uh, and out of here uh, mm-hmm. i can see i can see tim kane doing weird benny hill uh bits yeah. uh while hillary clinton's like looking out the window angrily uh, yeah <laughs> like, yeah all that adds up yeah uh but uh let's see i would say so if we're getting an actor with that energy i would say like uh richard schiff kind of like a very okay. like milk mm-hmm. he was in west wing too so you'd get that so like, he's been in politics oh before. yeah he's, he's he, he gets it he's been mm-hmm. in west wing so he knows yeah. how politics works it's true yeah 100 uh, percent 
Yep, the Aaron Sorkin rule. Uh, but uh, and if we're talking real politicians, uh, I feel like uh, like oh gosh, uh, like Mayor Pete. Like I feel like he like a little good boy, like a little milk boy. I feel like little milk boy. He's little like Meryl Streep's little milk boy. He's a little good milk boy. And like that would really like you would get all the the suburban moms. Like that would be like, dude, you got Mayor Pete on there. You got Meryl Streep. That's yeah. That she's she's getting she's getting elected into office. <laughs> little little <Yeah>. CIA milk boy. Little <laughs> CIA. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, she played a secret CIA agent with Julia Child, and she could That's also true. run with a secret CIA agent. <laughs> not a political not podcast, a guys. Podcast. Yeah, the only person we endorse is Rocky Del Fuente. Yeah. And, and Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep. <laughs> yes. uh, Adam, who you got? Uh, well, I've got I got two folks as well, but I've gone in a different direction than Patrick. Um, my first thinking is Meryl Streep represents an almost uh, platonic ideal of coastal elite, I think, mm-hmm. to much of the country. And so if we're going to get her the ideal VP, it is somebody who can capture the hearts and minds of those outside of the coast. And so I think um, I, I'm... I'm struggling to make a choice between whom on the blue collar comedy tour, I think would be the most perfect for her. Mm-hmm. I think Bill Engvall would be my choice <laughs> as running mate. Um, because I mean, people can relate to the, here's your sign bit. It's very funny. Everyone knows it. Um, he doesn't have the the level of fame um, that Jeff Fox were they labeled to carry Larry, the cable guy have. So I don't think he's going to got the well, same levels not, of, he's not going to gunning for that number one spot. He just wants no. to be a good team player. He's a yeah. hundred yeah. percent. The, the, the Tim Kane of the blue collar comedy. <laughs> yeah. He's the Tim Kane of the blue collar comedy. Yeah. And, and Ron White's just got two. I mean, he's, I, cool. I think he's going to, cool. yeah, he would take up too much space. I think in that situation, try, so and, I don't vet, think try and vet him too. I think you might run into a few, unpresidential type yeah. things. Yeah, I think you may. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and tater. then if we're thinking of, um, you know, politicians who I think could match the power and the energy of, of Meryl Streep, um, my first thought would be Alexander Lukashenko, uh, oh the God. Belarusian <laughs> dictator. I think he would be able to, I mean, at least provide some of what Merrill brings to the table. I think, I don't know if he's going to be able to do everything, but, um, you know, I think any, I think like, uh, like Maggie Thatcher uh, has expertise at um, lots of, uh, you know, decisive action, um, mm-hmm. which, Man, which I think Merrill could use. That, that, that'd be such a great romantic comedy. Meryl Streep falling in love with Lukashenko. <laughs> <laughs> um, give me that, like, yeah, like, like a weird Eastern European moon over Parador. I mean, <laughs> if we if we get them and the if they're the you know, they it could be a, a French lieutenant's woman situation mm-hmm. where we get them uh, you know in a movie and then we get to see also the romance blooming uh, of the two of them together. They could make this presidency movie. I think that would be a great. I think that'd be a great film for Meryl and Lukashenko to do together. Oh man. Oh, those are, those are, those are two top of, those are uh, top of the line picks. Thank you. Boy, I don't know how to, uh, I, um, 
everyone loves, you know, we've, we've said it before, Meryl Streep is effervescent. She mm-hmm. floats through rooms. She's a diplomat. She's a statesperson. Mm-hmm. She's out and about. But sometimes when you're in office, you need to have a little bit of the old Maggie Thatcher muscle, too. Um, mm-hmm. I have my first pick. And I think this is also a person who might cross over into the you know, kind of coveted Rust Belt blue collar area, because I think Adam was absolutely right there. Um, but I mean, I think it's quite obvious. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin oh, is, uh, yeah. I mean, we're talking about a guy who really knows about the working man. He knows how to fight. He knows yes. what to do. He can be a little bit of muscle. Politically, he's not that bad. I've seen some of his like tweets and stuff like that he's he's like mocks people who don't wear masks he's he's pretty good at it you know i think you got to get a mouthy guy a little edgier guy in there and i think stone cold is the man of the people and the man for the job and i think you know meryl she can go visit with all the people of the world and be a true humanitarian maybe win herself a nobel peace prize stone cold steve austin is just gonna drop her rivals with stone cold stunners Little, I think good, uh, good cop, bad cop routine. Good, good oh, president, bad, bad vice president. One hundred percent, yeah. yeah. And uh, my other pick. Speaking of bad vice presidents, <laughs> I gotta go with uh, another tough guy. Merrill's old friend Clint Eastwood. Get the Republican vote. Former mayor of Carmel. <laughs> you know, yeah. Let's, yeah. They wow. work well together. They got they had great chemistry in the bridges of Madison County. True. He got him to cry, show an emotional side. You know, I Meryl think Stre- um, Streep Eastwood, twenty twenty four. Eastwood will be like ninety eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl Meryl Streep can scream at the chair. Yeah, and you know Clint Eastwood can take some time off because I gotta. Go direct another movie. I'm 99 years yeah. old. <laughs> I mean, if we've if we've learned anything from recent cycles in American politics, it's that the best people for the job of president are uh, men that are teetering on you know incompetency oh, due to their yeah. old age. Like that's yeah. the kind of that's what you want. Yeah. Well, oh, in yeah. a co- in a contest be- between what kind of senile is your taste of senile that we just had. <laughs> you know, we can just keep yeah. rocking that. <laughs> what yeah. flavor of dementia would you prefer uh, being one <laughs> finger away from the nuke button? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> a jolly old guy who wants to tell old tales about beating the shit out of people with his doo-wop band. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> with the, yeah, with the corn pop and uh, yeah. old, old gluggy and... The, 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 like, yeah, the Fat Albert crew, essentially. Or, a, or do you want a psychotic, gossipy racist? I mean, it's just... Yeah. <laughs> Lady Gaga, I have so much on her. <laughs> but those are the two best choices, and yeah, we, we learned the, that. Yeah. Not a, not a political podcast. Yeah, oh, no. I, I, I'm just going to say, I think my friend Rocky Del Fuente would disagree, my man. <laughs> yeah. So, Mer- Meryl, any of our choices, I think we endorse all six of our possible candidates. I'd love know, to see it, just like a seven person ticket. Like I yeah. think that would be fine. Oh, a man. coalition, a coalition <laughs> of the strong. But uh, whether you're picking Stingo or Stone Cold, we support you in all your decisions, Meryl. Yeah. Wow. Salute. At, Salute. The very, at the very least, I do <laughs> want to see the reality, like the big brother version 
of this where like Meryl Streep has to live in a house with Richard Schiff, Pete Buttigieg, uh, <laughs> Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bill Langball, Lukashenko, and, and Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and Clint Eastwood, yeah. <laughs> Give us that season of Celebrity oh. Big Brother. The roommate you... meetings would be incredible. The... <laughs> Did you, eat Did you know that uh, Donald Trump is the only president of the United States who, is, who has received a Stone Cold Stunner? Oh, yeah. That He's... makes sense. Yeah. That shocks to me. But, also, yeah. <laughs> also, the only president that has shaved Vince McMahon on television. Because <laughs> they lost a hair versus hair match. <laughs> Insane! That's the world oh, we he's, live he's, in. He's a WWE Hall of Famer. Yeah, uh, oh. I heard a. Oh, we probably heard the same uh, facts done. If I'm thinking of the podcast that we both listened to, <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think my favorite little bit was that they had a fake ploy to. Uh, that Donald Trump was going to be like a co-owner in the WWE and it was all just a big marketing ploy, but they put it out in the financial times and it tanked the stock of the company because nobody, everybody was like, wait, Donald Trump is owning this thing now. No, no, no. Like you, everybody's getting out. Do you think that he, even though he's actually been involved in bits and stuff with them still thinks it's all real? I think yeah, he, I think that I think he does. Yeah, I think yeah. he still I, thinks through. I, I think he had multiple conversations with like Triple H and the Edge, where he was like, "It's so crazy all the things that you're doing with each other. Those fights <laughs> that you're having, you guys live crazy lives." And they're like, "You know, I'm like a human." He's like, "Yeah, yeah you're the human, the Edge." And yeah. <laughs> Bam Bam Bigelow, so scary, so scary. <laughs> Beautiful big boys of the WWE. <laughs> Beautiful Bam Bam. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness wow what a i i think uh patrick this episode was as wild as uh we were predicting oh yeah it was yeah this was like a roller this was the roller coaster my friend this was yeah <laughs> finally got to some timely trump stuff too oh yeah trenchant <laughs> very trenchant <laughs> just just what everyone wants to hear it all their think... podcasts <laughs> I, I think, honestly, guys, I think in 2021, I'm going to rebrand myself as a Trump impression comedian. I think that's going to be the way oh, to take now, my career now, off. Now it's, now it's yeah. time, now, yeah. Now is the time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cheeto the Golden Ears. Yeah. That's yeah. going to, that's, Patrick, stop giving away my name before <laughs> I brand myself. This is, oh, this is the golden. Small hands, I got small hands. <laughs> oh, people will eat it up. Yeah. It is yeah, going to be, it's going to be funny timely not at all depressing it's gonna have it all uh, <laughs> yeah well besides besides that adam i think we're I think we're out of we're out of third base heading home here on this episode so beyond uh cheeto the golden hands is there anything you want to plug as we head out of here oh, <laughs> i mean yeah stay on the lookout for cheeto the golden hands um but if you want to um, subscribe early to that before it takes off, I'll be transitioning my main Twitter account into that in the indefinite future. Uh, so you can just go ahead and follow me there. It's at Mushkatel, spelled the way my name is on this episode of the podcast. Um, I'm the only Adam Mushkatel online, so you can just search Adam Mushkatel and you'll find all of my all of the things that are linking to me, some things that are linking to my cousins who are also named Mushkatel. Uh, but not named Adam. Uh, I we got so, I got some podcast things coming out in the future, but I'll I'll put that on my Twitter as it happens because there is no real news to share. <laughs> Check it out. Adam's a super funny guy and oh, yeah. well well worth the follow. Also uh, a great uh, a great dungeon master in D and D. Yep. 
do, is, that, I do is, my that, best. is that the right nomenclature? Did I mess that up? You know? nailed it, Patrick. Oh, yeah. Patrick's a new, new, uh, new D and D player, and uh, just talking like a pro who's been doing it for twenty five years. Uh, yeah, I love it with my life. I get to. I, <laughs> I, I basically I went in with this idea of a complex character I wanted to play, and in reality, I'm just playing it like the character Master Shake on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> Sounds about right. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on, Adam and Patrick. Guess what, man? This yeah. is the end of the first. This is the end of the first round. We've got <gasps> some big, big matchups in the future. But uh, next week we have a special episode on the horizon for you all. We're going to take a quick break from the brackets. We're going to talk about what's to come with the brackets, but we're going to be ta- we're going to be discussing one movie next week. And we kind of teased a little bit earlier. Written by Charlie Kaufman. We're going to be looking at Adaptation, a movie that's come up quite a few times mm-hmm. with our guests throughout this first round matchups. And uh, yes, it's not in the tournament, but we thought it was it would be a fun thing to take a look at the film and discuss it and just see where it all fits in. I'm, I'm really excited for this one-off episode, Patrick. Oh, yeah. I loved this movie when I initially watched it. It is like, yeah, and it is interesting. That is like, it is, Adaptation is the most talked about movie uh, from our guests that's not on the bracket. So it will be interesting to watch this again and see like, oh man, maybe this should have been in the French Lieutenant Woman's spot. Mm-hmm. Maybe this should have been in like a uh, uh, bridge, not bridges, that's a good one, but like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know, like uh, out of Africa or defending your life, who knows? But uh, it's, it's uh, yeah, I'm excited to rewatch that bad boy and discuss it for a little bit. And if you, uh, if you're, you definitely tune in. You'll find out if we feel shame for missing oh, yeah? out or if we just feel like we made the right call, but it was fun to watch and talk it over. And yeah, and you'll get all the scoop and details on the upcoming second round too, which is uh, now been put together. We're lining those guests up. And I think, I think we're going to have just as much fun in the second round as we did in the first round. So, uh, but before we head out today, uh, as usual, Patrick, is there any, any, anyone? Anything you'd like to thank Ooh. for this episode? Okay. Uh, I would like to thank uh, the Great Gazoo uh, mm. as for being very influential in Jim Broadbent's, uh, Broadbent's performance. Uh, I want to thank uh, little mean old uh, ladies and uh, little mean old Victorian uh, house late housemaids. Um, I want to also thank, I'm going to do uh, something unique. I'm going to just very quickly uh, thank all the uh, films that have made it to the quarterfinals. Ah, I'm yes. gonna do. I'm gonna thank uh, Sophie's Choice and Bridges of Madison County in the accents bracket. I'm gonna thank Mama Mia and Florence Foster Jenkins in the musical bracket. I'm gonna thank The Devil Wears Prada and Death Becomes Her in the comedy bracket. And I'm gonna thank uh, Kramer versus Craner and finally the Iron Lady in the Academy uh, bracket. He almost said the Academy Academy bracket. Uh, <laughs> That's movies about our podcast that only a few episodes are uh, out of. Uh, but uh, yeah, may the best uh, may the best streep win, and I'm so happy. And uh, all these streep performances, it's past your bedtime. Go to bed. bed. Go, go to, to bed. bed. Go to bed, Meryl Streep in Bridges of Madison County. Go to bed. <laughs> well, I mean, I those are all like I want to thank all all the same, but I also I have to thank Fat Mouth Big Boys. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Fat mouth, big mm-hmm. boys. 
by a wide margin, I gotta thank Jeremy Irons' facial hair. Mm. Just top to bottom, changed, varied. I was into it. Um, another big, big thank you to the 2009 film directed by the Coen brothers, a serious man failed in not remembering you. You're a very good, great film that I think we all really enjoyed. And yeah, we I, all feel, like I feel very shitty that we forgot that. <laughs> um, you know, and on that note, I got to thank Santana and his album Abraxas. Mm-hmm. Um, Maria, Maria. And finally, I got I to gotta give a huge, huge shout out to... Um, Playing tennis and evening wear. I think, um, you know, it's, didn't know it was possible, but man, now that I do, I'm trying. And, and you know, and if this dang virus ever ends, I challenge both my co-host Patrick and our guest Adam to some tennis while wearing suits. And maybe we'll take some photos and put them on our Twitter feed so you can all see that it happened. But hell, let's get that vaccine. Come on. <laughs> You know? Help us, I, Rocky Del Fuente. I think we got to thank our uh, composer, Evan Cox. Mm, yes. And, uh, you know, just and our guest, Adam, for yeah. such a great time. Um, this was a super fun episode. I think we were all expecting it. And I think we came through, damn it. So this has been the Academy Academy. Thank you for listening. Uh, salutations, gentlemen and gentlemen. Yeah, ladies. And not the people that had their their gentleman status uh, contractually removed, though. Those people are not thanked. No, You're no, out of no. Here. Only You're gentle, out of here. only gentle folk listen to this podcast. Be gone. <laughs> okay, we're done. Pull back them dark and dusty drapes. Let in some light. Tell the billboy, come get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here tonight And I've packed my bags And i paid my bills And I'm turning in my key And if those sad souls down in the lobby Ask for me Just tell them I'm checking out This heartbreak hotel I ain't gonna live on Lonely Street no more No more I found a new love and a new place to dwell where teardrops ain't sucking the floor